episode 46 of Strange Bow Radio. I'm your host, Tobe Johnson. Today's guests are extended experiencers of Sasquatch interaction and maybe something more. I believe there's something more, and so do these two. So who am I talking about? Rich Germeau, ex-deputy out of Washington State, had quite the fascinating history with the subject matter and still possibly does. He's dipping his toe back in, and that's who we're talking to as well as witness, philosopher, teacher, Sonia Zohar. That's the show today. So we go way down the rabbit hole with these two witnesses at the Manresa Castle. Oh, by the way, sponsorship brought to you by Manresa Castle. Type it in. Book a room. Historic haunted castle in Port Townsend, Washington. You won't be sorry. Manresacastle.com. All right, we'll be right back with our guests, Rich and Sonia from Manresa. Our guest today is Rich Germeau and Sonia Zohar, both extended experiencers of the unusual Sasquatch, the paranormal, and the attributes that surround the deeper question of what the heck is going on here. Rich Germeau used to be Deputy Germeau, and with his law enforcement background, he experienced the brunt of his interaction, still quite possibly does. Sonia, on the other hand, is a philosophy major, a teacher, and has a unique philosophy as to what could be going on and what has happened with her. She's been all over looking into the subject matter, flies pretty low on the radar, so you may not know her name, but you might be familiar who she's worked with, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that as we go along here. So, from the Manresa Castle, in what is known as the Green Room, Rich and Sonia. We're at Manresa Castle with Rich Germo and Sonia Zohar. And... Uh, you, let's just start with that. So we're, we're all into the question here, what's going on with Sasquatch. We have uh, our own theories about this, and we've had our own interaction. Sonia, I've heard a little bit about yours. Rich, I've heard more of yours because you've been, I don't know, is it fair to say you've been more open about this too, Sonia, a little less so? Uh, a little less so. I think a little less public, that's all. Okay, so, and there's a reason behind that. Yeah, I... Uh it's funny, we just said. <laughs> Ultimately, it's because there's uh, there's a lot of dissension within the Bigfoot community um, and a lot of attacks and a lot of hearsay and a lot of gossip. And I know we get that in every field and every endeavor, um, any sort of scientific endeavor. Um, there is competition and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But it just seems unwarranted for me in this endeavor. I mean, we're all lay people. We're not hardcore scientists. There are very few hardcore scientists that are involved in this study. And so, you know, in my estimation, I would, I would imagine that we would all be very forthcoming and sharing. And that's not the community I experience. But so I don't really publish and I don't really um, go online and all that. But I am a very active researcher. Um, and I will speak publicly. And mm. I enjoy doing things like this. Yeah. So I don't have links and bios and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. You're hard to find. I mean, I had yeah. to go through a couple of people to find you. Yeah. So have you been attacked? Oh, yeah. 
Okay, yeah. you've experienced it. Yeah, right Right when I started, um, the BFRO um, put a very non-true article about me. Um, and I was okay with that. Like, I, I'm fine with criticism. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I reached out to them and said, hey, you know, this. I, I don't mind you critiquing my work. That's fine. But the, I just there's just some key points here that you're saying that are actual absolute falsehoods. Mm-hmm. And could you remove them? And then um, I got an email back from Matt Moneymaker just saying, didn't you... Um, did you not audition for my show? And I've never met him. It was just a very odd encounter. And um, there were a lot of comments on that site that were really derogatory. Um, one was a death threat. I mean, it's Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's Bigfoot. Right, right. <laughs> you know, and, and, and having a name like Sonia Zohar, um, you can find me anywhere. I'm not, right. Yeah. You know, it's not like Jane Smith. Like, where does Jane Smith live? So... Um, I do keep a low profile. I don't like that kind of drama. I don't like that kind of antagonism. I'm not really sure why someone would be so upset that I research Bigfoot that you would have to write so many derogatory things, and especially mm-hmm. like something like a big endeavor like the BFRO and finding Bigfoot. Like, why would they reach out to me? I'm just a girl in the woods, you know? <laughs> what do you think it is? I don't know. You know, um, we were asked that at the conference. That was a good question. I um, there is a uh, there is sort of a conspiracy theory in general in the Bigfoot world that people intentionally try to sabotage other people's works to keep to keep mm-hmm. the truth not prevailing in this situation. Um, I don't know that to be true, um, but it is kind of odd. I do find that there are people in the endeavor who spend more time making fun of people researching or casting dispersion on people's research rather than just putting forth their own research. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, but I, I, I do find that in any endeavor. I mean, you can watch, I, this summer I just watched a physics panel um, with, uh, with all kinds of physicists from all over the world talking about different theories like the string theory and right. whatnot. And there were two competing scientists on the panel and you can see they had a, they had a rub. So it's going to happen in every endeavor, um, but I don't really care to necessarily participate, and I really did feel targeted like right away. Like, why are you doing this? Why are you talking? Who are you? Right. And then this you almost have to like kiss the right ring in order to get yourself through these little you know webs of resentment or competition. Well, and it doesn't make a lot of sense. All we're doing and all Rich has done, you know, he, Rich has had an experience and he's reporting those experiences mm. and I've had experiences and I'm reporting those experiences. Right. And we're both equally, well, I wouldn't say that. I can't speak for you there, but ultimately I'm just fascinated with the topic. You know, like, mm-hmm. so, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. So it, as far as Rich, you've experienced this too? Uh, experienced what? Well, the the I guess the backlash from being I don't think so. Not me. Well, maybe not in the Bigfoot community, but certainly I haven't experienced any backlash really. You know, outside of it possibly some from people that don't really know or people maybe that don't really know me personally. Mm-hmm. Hold that mic, keep it oh, right. Oh, people that don't yeah. know me personally. There but, you go. But I don't think anybody's really challenged me too much or said too much negative about me as far as Mm-hmm. I'm pretty straight up, and so if they know anything about me and my background and everything like that, mm-hmm. and we should if mention they want to challenge my credibility. It's kind right. of difficult to do it, so they just kind of stay away from it. And you don't. I mean, the the thing about me and, and you know, I got into this whole thing, you know, wanting to really be the one kind of. I, I 
I was a, it was a distraction away from what else I was involved in in my professional career, you know, and everything like that at that time. And that's kind of why that I actually got into it. And then Derek really pushed me hard um, because he met me, and, and uh, I think he was trying to form something at that time on his own, you know. And we he was a BFRO member at that time, and so I became a member of the BFRO uh -huh. and got access to flats, you know. And right. then and then once I got access to flats, and I guess really. You know, my involvement in everything that came out in the Olympic project and all that stuff uh -huh. was probably because of the BFRO and because of flats. Because um, let's explain uh, what the flats are real quick. I've uh, I've explained a little on the show before, okay, but what, what are the flats? Is, it's the reporting database. When you go to the BFRO website and it says um, if you want to make a report, it goes to flats, right? And a flats is an access only place on the internet where all these reports go. And if you can have a password to get in, which is granted by an administrator or Matt Moneymaker, then you get access to go in. Every, most uh, members of the BFRO have access to flats, right? But the great thing about flats is because it was established so early, mm -hmm. it was like the first one. And it's still where the vast majority of people go that have a sighting. They got, it's just full. I mean, what you see on the, the BFRO page right of the reports mm -hmm. is literally probably less than one tenth of the reports that are in flats and for all kinds of different reasons they don't get published right and a lot of time it's because of follow-through because of the guys that sign up for them and i was really guilty of that i, I didn't publish any reports i i kind of just picked them i was pretty selfish with what i was doing you know i was using flats after i got this idea because uh, i guess i was kind of selfish in that sense that i was using it for my own benefit I was signing up for these reports in certain areas kind of to learn mm -hmm. about what was going on because I kind of jumped in and I was trying to learn really quick as much as I could. And then, and then we came up with this idea to, um, I did basically the strategy to do this camera placement and then our benefactor, Wally Hersom, he paid for the, all these cameras, so we started doing it. But in general, you know, places that I was interested in, I would use flats to find them because I would go to areas and that would have a lot of historical Right, you know, data with with sightings, and and, and specifically stuff that was still currently going on, mm -hmm. you know, and and some of these spots had spans of fifty years worth of stuff that was happening, and then I picked places that were close enough to me that I could do it in a day trip, go there and back, right, you know, and I had fifty cameras, <clears throat> and so, you know, I came into it with a specific, you know, viewpoint. Mm -hmm. Really, I was kind of. Uh, and I had, you know, it was really weird with me. It was because of my association with Derek, and he was so close to everything that was going on with Matt Moneymaker and, and Cliff and Bobo and all those guys at that time, and that mm -hmm. show was just starting out, and Derek actually went and auditioned for that show with all of them, too. Right. He just didn't get picked. You know, and uh, so he had <laughs> access to all the people, and Melbourne was really tight with Derek because uh, Derek originally was a member of the North American Ape Project, mm -hmm. And Meldrum and John Mayanshinsky came to Mayanshinsky, actually traveled from Idaho to come and find Derek because they had heard about him right. and seen him related to other investigations. I mm -hmm. think uh, the Gene Sampson incident, you know, that happened about the same time as my yeah. incident did. And just so what, let's hold on a second here because uh, the vast majority of people that are going to listen and watch this have no idea who these players are. So mm -hmm. let me explain. 
what Rich is describing right now are people that primarily believe that we're looking for a relic hominid, something Newtonian science can explain. I was, yeah. I okay, was, and you were in that camp. Well, no, I, I wasn't. I guess, uh, I, yeah, I, you, I believed you, it was probably a relic hominid or, or maybe maybe an ape, but probably not an ape because it was too smart. Okay. And, and even in, in the hominid, logically speaking, how could it be smart enough to evade the technology, you know, like it was? But but I was comfortable at that point thinking it was probably kind of rare. Mm-hmm. But then the more that I got involved in flats and looking through the database and really studying it, because I spent hours looking through that thing. And right. It really started to make me question, like, okay, there's so many sightings. There, there are so many sightings. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they're close together a lot of the times in proximity, too. It's not like they're spread apart. And, and some of these areas, like in Mason County in particular, where I was at, because I was focusing there, because that's where I was doing a lot of right. research, because that's where I was living at. And it was just a really great spot. There were sightings going on all over the place, all over the county. But that county is cut apart geographically by water, you know. So what I'm saying is that it was pretty apparent to me, it was common sense, logical, that we're dealing with a lot of groups of these things all over the place. And they're not spread out that far, you know. Different groups are really close together, which tells me that there's quite a few of them, right? It's not like um, these things are rare, not at all, you know. Definitely they're dispersed throughout the entire Available habitat, they're there, generally. Let me ask Sonia this question then. Sonia, as far as the rarity that Rich is talking about, he's saying that the numbers are not rare, that there are large breeding populations, large areas, large swaths of where these are. What's your opinion on that? Yeah, I would tend to agree with Rich. I really trust his research on that. I want to go back to something that you had brought up earlier, though, about how Rich had started off uh, looking for a relic hominid, and I did as well. I think any rational, logical human being that would get into this research would start off looking for an ape. I think it's once you have experiences um, and you've been in it for a while, you realize you're dealing with something a little bit different. And that's, you know, what what comes up. It's like it's not quite what we think it is when you start off. Um, it just seems obvious that we'd be dealing with a relic hominid like a Neanderthalish type being or Gigantopithecus, mm-hmm. something like that, um, since we have that in the fossil record. But as you start to get involved, you start to realize that it's not quite like that. And we need to resolve that as researchers. And then back to what you just asked about how many there are, they are dispersed in a lot of places. I don't, I don't quite understand it. I don't... I don't think they have like, I don't want to use the same model, the biological model that we use for human and other migratory species um, or any sort of animal that we know of because this being is a lot different. And I think we have to start putting on a different sort of mindset when we start thinking about what we're dealing with because like Rich just said, it's all over. And there there are reports of them in urban areas. Mm -hmm. And how could that possibly be? You know, how could we have a nine to ten foot tall bipedal primate in an urban area or even a closely clustered rural area without Mm -hmm. really knowing it's there right like without really seeing it every day so the thinking has to change the mindset has to change about what's possible in the biological record because obviously we have something in um, that doesn't match those qualities and if you really look at something like an octopus, which science has just finally um, ascertained that um, the DNA structure of an octopus mm, actually states that it might be our true alien on this planet. 
Um, it has eight brains, three hearts, blue blood, and they can not only change um, their skin to camouflage, but they, they can actually mimic their whole body to look like a different animal. So they're true masters of the water, which is really interesting. And if you want to put that same scope onto the Sasquatch, which are masters of the forest, mm -hmm. we might be looking for something that, that we can't necessarily say can fit in that standard model of what, about, what, what our biological record is. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, you know some people in the field here. You, you've, worked, you've had a chance to work with some names, and so have you. The private conversation that these folks are having, and we're not here to out anybody, the private stuff is totally different than the public stuff. We all know that. But how much different? I mean, for the most part, the stuff that they're talking about usually is anecdotal stuff that they kind of surrender to, mm -hmm. hence where they use things like, well... It's not a mountain monkey, you know, it's a relic hominid. We're going to start impacting people with this word to kind of give it a human quality somewhat. Or they'll say they're heightenedly aware. Mm -hmm. well, what does that mean? What have you heard? What have you experienced? And, uh, I mean, what, what, how do you feel about that as far as like, it's almost like a political correct tone that's coming across to explain well, this I, stuff. I think I would get into that a little bit, and I'll finish kind of where I was at. I was directly injected with all these people, direct contact with Meldrum and everybody. I was talking to Meldrum on the phone at least once a week. Right. And he was taking an hour out of his day, you know, to talk to me, you know, at that time. And we were discussing all kinds of stuff because I was telling him what was going on. And I was finding lots of evidence fairly quick. Right. And um, as my evolution, because I'm relatively into it for a shorter period of time, he's in it for, it's a lifelong thing for him, right, since he was a kid. Career. And, and I mean, career really, yeah. And he's like the head head dude, right? And so I'm quickly evolving based on my investigations, especially at a couple of habituation sites and just things that didn't make sense that were going on where my viewpoint was starting to be forced to be changed fairly fast. And I'm looking at it from a logical perspective as a law enforcement officer because I was at that time. Right, and um, in the back of my mind, I'm not putting him on the spot or really questioning him, but I'm starting to question him a little bit in, in certain ways of thinking like, okay, he's on this direct path this way. He's in it for this many years. Obviously, he's having contact with people mm -hmm. that are telling him the same sort of experiences that I am, and some of them probably are pretty credible. How is he not uh, taking into consideration these types this type of evidence because it's unavoidable for me even being a cop or whatnot you know, even though it's not logical I'm starting to see it personally mm -hmm. after even at first you know I'm talking to, to witnesses that are explaining things that are not logical and, and not really possible but then I start to experience them at certain sites where things are happening you know a little bit well, surely you went through the phase, Rich, where you didn't want to talk about it because it is so weird. You know, kind of. I kind of kept to myself, but I'm not like that, really. See, what, what it was like is, okay, what happened with me at Harstein Island was right. the peak of everything, right? It brought everything together. I was already starting to have doubts, but I was still wanted to believe it was a hominid, and I still could succeed at this, but I was starting to have some doubts. And then Harstein happened, and then all the weird stuff happened as a result of that. And I called all these people, right? I, I talked to Meldrum, and I talked to Derek, and I talked to Wally, and I talked to everybody, 
that I was involved in, Melba Ketchum, and all these different people that I called, you know, within that day or first day and a half and told them what happened to me. Right. You know, and subsequently, I didn't keep it at all a secret from people, you know, kind of what had happened. I was a little soft on it. You know, I didn't really go full in, but I was making it well apparent to people that I had some weird experiences occur after that incident. Right. And and then what I ended up finding as a result is they they weren't discrediting me and they didn't want to not be around me, but they didn't want to hear about it and they didn't want to acknowledge any of it. Oh, no, they just walk right out of the room. All of them. It was all of them. (laughs) Right. You know, except for Melba Ketchum, because she's a little bit like a little crazy anyways. But and I, I I don't mean that in a bad way. Um, but um, and a few other people, you know, uh, Dave Plytus is pretty open-minded about the whole thing, and I was pretty talk, talking to him regularly at that time uh-huh. too, you know, and um, other people, you know, Scott Carpenter. I started uh-huh. to talk to him towards the end of things because he was involved in the study with me and as well. Uh, but what I was finding is that these people didn't want to acknowledge it, and and and. I mean, I was considered to be credible by them. They, they wanted to take time to talk to me. But then when it got to be a little bit weird with what my experience was, and they still won't come out and say, you know, we don't believe this guy or anything like that because they know I'm not full of shit. But they just didn't want to go there, except it was real for me, and I had experienced it. And so mm-hmm. what I'm getting to the point is I went kind of public with this through a guy that I know, Greg Brotherton, who, who uh, did some filming stuff, and he wanted I worked for him, and he wanted to make a... Uh, interview me and do a studio interview so that's where the Harstein video came out and then the Lonesome Creek video and then another one me and Sonia are in together mm-hmm. well, he just took different parts and put something together but then that went public right and, and then I'm pretty boisterous about what my experience mm-hmm. is and I've even you know they don't challenge me on what I say but the thing is is that they just want to stick to their own thing and they don't want to acknowledge that people that were legitimate that were in this that came in it looking at it their way quickly well, no, changed well, to another viewpoint they don't challenge you because why well no i don't know why it is but well, i don't think there's anything positive in it for them to really do it because why would they challenge her so I don't hard know. i mean I, I don't know why but what i'm saying is i haven't experienced is it cause it's because it's a boys club i don't know i don't know if that and would be I, the case or yeah not. i mean you're here you're an ex-law um, you know, I'm official. considered by, by coming after me and saying and trying to do character assassinate me or through any other means of mm-hmm. trying to shut me up. It's not going to really do him any good at this point. It's already out there. Well, people have already formed their opinion one way or the other. Based so on how o- how was. open have you been, Rich, as far as what? Oh, I've, I've been totally open as far as concerned of, uh, I guess, not everything's out on the Internet as far as YouTube. But I've yeah, I mean, I've spoken on social media about everything. So if you've paid attention yeah. to it, people associated, they've seen it all. But, you know, and then in speaking events publicly, I've, I've pretty much gone all the way now, I think. Sonia, you had a follow-up. I think what happens is when you get into it, like I said, like everyone starts off thinking that... <coughs> go ahead. Yeah, go ahead and use it. Right. Anybody needs to do anything here, just watch out for the camera here. Go ahead. Thank you. So I think anyone, like I, I started to say that, you know, anyone that gets into this starts off uh, looking for the obvious ans- answer. You know, you're looking for a gigantopithecus. You're looking for a relic hominid. Um, you're looking for a non a non-human bipedal North American primate, right? Um, and then what happens is, is is that I think a couple of things happen that that makes this study <coughs> challenging. There, well, obviously, there's a lot of things. We're looking for an elusive hominid, whatever it is, highly elusive. Um, and then on top of that, it's highly intelligent. And then it, and then there's things that happen to you, with you, 
in your experience in research. However, one of the things that most researchers will tell you is the truth, is that you don't pick Sasquatch. They pick you. They don't have to make themselves known to you. They live right here amongst us all the time anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, if you see one by chance, you know, most of 90% of the stories is it just walked away really fast. Mm-hmm. It just walked away. I saw it. Those people, not everybody who has an experience or an encounter will become a researcher. And not every researcher is an experiencer. Rich and I are experiencers. Mm-hmm. Dr. Meldrum is not an experiencer as far as I know, meaning he does the research, but he doesn't have the experience, meaning when he goes into the forest, he's not met with one of them. He's not had one walk up to him. Um, Not that I'm aware of. I could be mistaken enough. Hold that mic nice and close for me. Hold that mic. There you go. I do believe that um, he saw one once when I was out with him in Canada. Um, He thinks he saw one. But the type of experience that Rich and I have had, you know, not everybody is privy to. This is why, and this this substantiates why, you have um, avid people who believe, I mean, they will tell you and berate you that there's no such thing because their evidence is, Mm -hmm. well, I've been a hunter since I was, I could carry a gun. Right. I'm 65 years old. I know these forests in and out. I've never had an experience okay, that's great. You've never had an experience. You're not an experiencer. Mm -hmm. And that's what I call them. There's a group of people in this endeavor that are experiencers. We have, for whatever reason, and Rich is one of them, they not only show themselves to him, they speak to him. They they know where he lives. They know where I live. That was one of the biggest things for me was that this phenomena, whatever it is, actually follows you home. And a lot of researchers who are experiencers will say the same thing. And if you're wanting to know, like, what do you mean? How does it follow you home? I'll give you an example of just this most recently. I came home, walked in my house, and I have this shelving unit. Um, and nobody's in my house. I have two cats. And cats do not bring things in the house unless they are furry and they want to eat them. They're not sticks and stones kinds of things. And I look over on my shelf, and sitting right on the shelf is a stone. That wasn't there when I left for work in the morning. And these sorts of things are the things that people don't want to talk about. Now, I can't say, and I am not saying that that was Sasquatch at all, but I am definitely saying that that's a phenomena that I cannot explain, and it didn't start happening Mm. necessarily until I went into the forest looking for Sasquatch. Um, And so what happens is, is people who are experiencers are reporting their experiences in these this phenomenal kind of paranormal sense. Mm-hmm. And then you have people like Dr. Meldrum, who is a credible researcher uh, from a scientific standpoint, who doesn't experience that. And of course, he's going to think we're crazy. It's pretty logical. Let me come back real quick to that stone. What yes. kind of, uh, it was just a rock. It was about this big, and it was sitting on this... Color, size. Just a average gray rock no uh, nothing nothing special sick, nothing special Ra- nothing not rounded on the corners but definitely sitting on the edge of a sh- uh, right when i walk in my house this mm-hmm. shelf this uh like you know uh, what do you call it a secretary mm-hmm. you know and it's sitting on the corner and i i just look at it and i'm like now is that an average experience for you week to week do you find apport i call them apports from wherever do you find these around 
No. Um, no, I don't. Um, not here right now because I really haven't put the energy and there, all, there is something to putting your intention into the research, right? I haven't put a lot of energy into where I'm living right now and I have some reasons for that. But um, after my first encounter in Montana, it definitely showed up in California. And I was open to that type of phenomena where I was living because I was living by myself on five acres and so right. it was fine. Right now I share acreage with people and I don't know how they feel about phenomena happening on their property, so I don't really engage it. Um, it's for me. It's not for them. Uh -huh. um, but the stuff that I was experiencing at my house in California was, you know, I, I, got, I was gifted. Uh, this is one thing that doesn't come up in the Sasquatch research too much, but um, sometimes you get gifted animals, uh -huh. just like a cat. Like I had a deer in my backyard that had a perfect hole, just like stuff you hear out of... Um, out of uh, like cattle mutilation stuff? Yeah, 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 the ranch. Just like skinwalker like ranchy stuff? Exactly. Mm -hmm. like I had this deer that had a perfect hole taken out of its chest, and I just like... It was delivered to your house? Backyard. How close to like your door or your window? Um, probably about 25 yards. Okay. Yeah. So meant for you to see? Oh, yeah. yeah. I was leaving that day. I was actually going to uh, Texas to do uh, an episode on Survivor Man. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, I, there was really nothing I could do about it. I just walked, I saw vultures in my backyard and I was like, whoa, what's going on? I was literally getting in my car to go to the airport. And I'm like, why are there vultures in my backyard? So I ran out and looked and then I saw this deer and I was mortified. Right. But I really couldn't handle it or do anything about it. I just like, wow, that's crazy. And when I got home, that deer was gone. I was gone a matter of maybe seven to 10 days-ish. Um, and there was not even fur, not even fur. The whole deer was gone. And I thought that was also very strange. Mm -hmm. um, but I've had entrails on my porch. Um, uh, I've had uh, one of the things they are, they're tricksters. You know, th there's things that happen that are kind of funny, but one thing that happened, I felt like they watched what I was doing around my property. And so every night I would go out and cut wood or grab kindling for the fire that evening and grab wood. And my, my wood pile always got messed with in the funniest ways. Like I had a chopping block, you know, a big, it was a redwood, it was a big round and I couldn't really get my hand all the way around it, right? I definitely never lifted it. If I did anything, I pushed it over and rolled it. It was mm. huge and it weighed a lot and it was cumbersome. So that wasn't meant for somebody to lift and carry around. And one night I came out to chop wood and that whole piece was on top of my wood pile. All right. I remember that in your PowerPoint, too, yeah. that you gave there. So, Rich, you know, those go things, ahead. Those things happen. And so you once, and these are the things, not all of these things about following you home does everybody have. However, mm -hmm. there are lots of phenomena that happen out there. Even Ron Moorhead talks about, you know, in the Sierra Sounds, when they were out there, even his friends, like, okay, we'll talk about hearing this, but we're not talking about that light we saw. I'm not going to talk about that. Because they don't know how to process it themselves. They don't know how to explain it. And nobody wants to look like they're crazy. And speaking of looking like you're crazy, I mean, once you get into Bigfoot, you have to take the surrender. I mean, I had to do that. It wasn't like I walked into this saying, oh, Bigfoot. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to go research Bigfoot. You know, it was like, and I got to talk to my friends about this. And, mm -hmm. and they're all like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I can't help it. You know, there might be a non-human bipedal primate in North America. How could you not want right. to know about it? How <laughs> right. How could you not yeah. want to know about it? Yeah. 
So I became obsessed, but I, like, like most people, started off looking for a biological entity. And I'm not saying it's not biological. However, we do have to somehow come together and start accepting that there are credible witnesses who have a lot of different things happen to them in this that is, for lack of a better word, paranormal. Okay, gifts. We're talking a little bit about that here. I mean, obviously, this is something that we're all familiar with. Um, what's been gifted to you? Uh, and would you, would you call them gifts? Nothing, really. And I've never had anything gifted to me. Now, wait a second. You have them come around your property, yeah, right? Yeah, but they didn't bring me anything. They took stuff before. But I, I, I had them take things at, at Dow Mountain at that place where I was doing th uh, research. Mm-hmm. Um, and bring it back and whatnot, but but no, they've never brought me anything. No. Never. No. Is that, okay. Well, you have some boundaries up compared to Sonya. Is that true? I don't know. Maybe. Uh, I'm, well, were you gifting in the forest? Yeah, I was trying to oh, get, but they didn't take anything from me either. But not at my house. But what yeah. I was going to say too is about Meldrum because you mentioned it that. You know, he hasn't had these experiences. I think she mentioned that. Well, the thing about Meldrum is that kind of where I stopped at, and I'll just finish that real quick, is that it started to make me think about it as an investigator and, and, and the sh in the short term that I investigated for, which was, you know, maybe, you know, about four, four to five years where I was really heavy into it. And, and, and the fact that I was telling him all the, all the stuff that I was, you know, finding and seeing and, and, and fairly regular. I mean, I was a... It wasn't like in my face that I was experiencing paranormal stuff right away. It wasn't until Harstein. It was just that it was strange at mm -hmm. Dow Mountain to me, the level of intelligence that I was dealing with there and, and the fact that they would come in, but they seemed to be completely aware of the cameras and the fact that they didn't, weren't afraid of the cameras at all. They just find ways to navigate around them or they would disable them or whatever they would do to them, just batteries going dead, all kinds of weird stuff. But the fact is, is with him, is I don't buy the fact that he just didn't experience this stuff, so he just doesn't, he thinks we're crazy or whatever. Right. The fact is, is he's had so much exposure over the years to every aspect of this thing, right? And he knows all the strangeness associated with it that he chooses to not acknowledge, right? Which to me, as a scientist or somebody that, and he would be a true investigator as a scientist because he's trying to, you know, get to the bottom of a phenomenon, why is he ignoring specific evidence, you know, that is directly associated with the, what he's doing is being repeated over and over again. And I started to ask myself, you know, I didn't stop talking to him, but I started to question, you know, wh what's he really doing, you know, because how, in, if he's doing this, how can he continue to go down a certain path, mm -hmm. even though there's so much conflicting data out there mm -hmm. that you choose not to acknowledge, but it all is just repeating itself over and over again. If you look mm -hmm. back historically, even into ancient times, what, what the Native Americans are saying through their folklore and whatnot, it's exactly mirrored today and with what a lot of people have experiences and what they're saying. So, I mean, you've got 10,000 years of data, essentially, essentially that are saying one thing. But be, because you're in classical science and, and you're looking at it from a, a clearly classical science standpoint, you have to ignore all of this other... But you can't do that if you're religious, and Jeff absolutely is a well, strong... He says he's Mormon, right? Yeah, right. I mean, there's a lot of supernatural stuff in the Book of Mormon. Uh, but, but, I, but, he, he, but he believes in evolution, too. I mean, so, I mean... Right, my point being is that if you're going to invest, you know, your worldview mm -hmm. into believing in a giant sky god, then w what stops people from going over here to say, okay, 
what it's, what's up with these lights? Let's start there. Yeah. What's, what's up with all these lights, mm-hmm. which are invitations, in my opinion, business cards of something coming towards you, in particular mm-hmm. Bigfoot stuff. Have you guys all seen these lights? No, I, I wouldn't say Sonia? So. Okay. But, but I will say about Jeff, too, is that it's, he's, it's strange. He's, this guy's skillful because he can mingle with all these people, the weirdness and all that mm-hmm. stuff. It doesn't influence him. He sticks to his thing he has for the last 20-some years or whatever. And he doesn't account for anything else that's going on. And he can navigate and communicate right. and, and go through the whole thing. And everything's fine. Right. But the thing is, is like I don't understand like uh, how he can just be where he's at. Mm-hmm. based and, and then this all, I've experienced this stuff, right? I wouldn't even have got into Bigfoot. I wouldn't have wasted my time. One second looking, if I hadn't already seen one when in, in 2000 when I was driving down the road, right? It was already confirmed to me it existed, right? It was attainable to actually go out and and put and invest a lot of resources and time into this. That's why I did it because I had already had a sighting. I had already it already been confirmed to me that they exist. He already knows that they exist, right? He talks to all these people. He's getting people telling him weird stuff, but he doesn't consider any of the weird stuff, even though he's hearing it over and over again. He's not telling these people they're crazy or anything like that, and I know he doesn't think they are because he obviously they're not all t- lying. Some of them may be, but some yeah. are telling the but truth, Yeah, but why too. does Jeff get to be the gatekeeper for how the ball's moved right now? And here's, here's, I don't want to make the show about Jeff's opinion well, yeah, yeah. over what Bigfoot is. I understand our experience. We've all had experience. I guess I'm getting somewhere with it, but then you yeah. have, why do people still take DNA samples to Todd Distel, right? Why do they still take samples to him? Because he's on TV. But, but but why? You know, I mean, look they, where he's They have no idea who else to thinks. take him to. You know, and the thing is, and we already have a, a, a right. We already have a DNA study. You know, that was of half a million bucks that 111 individuals identified. But, but the problem is, is that the people, a lot of the people that even were involved in the study, didn't like the results. You know, and, and then the, and then the Brian Sykes thing and all that stuff, and, and, uh, and Jeff dealing directly with him. Right. You know, and that's all a strange situation. And, and what I'm saying is that. Um, it is one way, right? She can she can say that it is. I can right. say based on my experience, and I evolved to this point, and she evolved from the point that she started with to get to where she's at. And her viewpoint may be slightly different than mine, you know, based on what my experiences are. Right. But what I'm saying is that how can these people deny this stuff? You know, like Cliff and, and Bobo, he's a little bit in the camp. He, he's he's seeing things from, from a real open-minded point of view, and he's accepted the po- many possibilities, right? But then on the same token, you have Matt and Cliff, and they're really stuck in the same right. really isolated group like where Jeff is, you know, where they're ignoring evidence and they're not passing on stuff they should be passing on to the public related to the field because this is a big picture where everybody's involved to try to get to one big point where they want disclosure, right? That's what really this whole but thing But wouldn't about. you agree, Jeff, that they have slowed, they have slowed this well, down? Absolutely they have because they're, yeah. the, they're the faces of it. And they look at it from this from this really isolated way where they're not even considering, uh, I would say, 60% of the evidence. They're only looking at 40%. They're, they're throwing 60% of it away, right? Because, because it, when you look at Bigfoot in general and the whole phenomenon in general, right, we have, I, I talked about Mason County in general, where there's sightings all over the freaking county. It's cut off geographically from other parts because of water features and whatnot, where these are isolated groups of these things. They can maneuver and travel but it's a significant trek to get to other parts of this area, right? I'm saying in, in Mason County, which is like 950 square miles with a whole bunch of like 400 some miles of shoreline because of the water, 
there's probably 20 groups of Bigfoots, 30 groups right. living in there, right? In this small area, in one county in the state of Washington. These things are everywhere, right? And yet they're able to avoid millions of uh, game cameras throughout the world, essentially, that are mm -hmm. placed both by... Some of them by people researching cryptids or Bigfoots. Other people that are doing it from a scientific or recreational nature, they're not getting pictures of Bigfoots. I got a picture of one once, and I think that even that was suspicious in the, in the fact that it was like it was almost meant to happen, like it was like a gift, the way it was done. The camera wasn't even it wasn't even hidden. It was just in the wide open. It was mm -hmm. like right after we put them, and they were in the area. It was really weird. You know, it's like almost it was there to um, keep your attention focused. Mm -hmm. On this, you know, it's, a, it's like a little bit of bait to keep you going. It, it's really weird. The whole thing is weird, you know. Um, but I, I've been talking a lot, if you want. Oh, well, no, I, let me ask both of you. As far as the permission slip to record them on video, um, there seems to be a lack of permission, aside from Patterson and Gimlin, to actually get them on film. But audio, at least in my experience, is A-OK. -okay. Well, Re recording them in audio, I mean, I've had to mess with the recorder, pick it up. You know, eat blackberries, fiddle with it. Um, what's what's your opinion on why that would be? Well, I well, first of all, we just have to accept we're dealing with something highly intelligent. And second, the second premise we'd have to uh, deal with is that it's somewhat omniscient. We we do have to say that because the and I don't have this photo and and there's a reason for that, and it's so <laughs> funny. So one night, I, I don't do a lot of trail cam stuff. I'm I I'm not trying to get them on photo. I, I don't even know what I'm trying to do anymore because it's just such a phenomenal topic, you know? And, uh, but one night I was putting my trail cam out and this has happened recently. And I just said aloud, I go, I'm not trying to film you, but if you want to show me you're still around, I'd love to see something. And I had the strangest photo on my trail cam that night. And what it was, um, was realistically, it was just this like very straight line and there was light emanating from below it, right? It was lit up, like a light had come on, but there was nothing there. You know, like there was nothing to to generate light. You mean like a slit? And yeah, then it was, a, almost, a... Almost like if, if there... No, there wasn't even a slit. It was just this light coming down from a straight line, right? Mm -hmm. This random light. Now, I started laughing and... Um, what was so funny is I went to send that photo to a colleague, and I was uploading it from my trail cam to my computer. But remember, I had said, I really had said the intention. I'm only doing this so I can see that you're still around. Right. I, I don't need evidence. I'm not looking for evidence. But then I was just excited, and naturally, and I, sent it, I, I tried to send it to a dear colleague. Mm -hmm. And as I was uploading from that trail cam, that was the only time my trail cam and everything froze and I couldn't upload it and I lost the photo, which I started laughing at because I know what my intention was. Mm -hmm. My intention was that I wanted to know that they were still around because I hadn't really had an interaction in a while. And sure enough, I got this thing on my trail cam um, and I don't have the photo. So we have to we have to accept that there's some sort of omniscience going on, that they're mm -hmm. always around you. And like I said, when Rich wasn't here, they do. They choose us. We don't choose them. We don't. They don't have to make an appearance. I don't think it's random that Rich was driving down the road and saw one. I don't. I've been driving down lots of roads my whole life, and I've never seen one. Um, and there is an old native tale that says that one of the... Uh, there's folklore for the natives that um, one of the trials for a Sasquatch, um, a rite of passage, mm -hmm. is that it has to stand in plain sight of human and not be seen. Right. Um, 
so that's very interesting. But there, Rich said like there's like maybe I don't know. Would you say sixty percent that they're ignoring on evidence? I think so. I would say 80%. A lot. A lot. A lot. A lot. Because as soon as it goes off Newtonian science, you know, they have shark eyes. A little glaze comes over there. It just They've gone black. I mean, they might as well have just left the room. Well, and, and one of the things I showed at the conference where we were all at um, was that show where Dr. Meldrum was on it and mm. uh, uh, Dr. Sir Ian Redmond, I think he's knighted, I think so. I'm not, I might be wrong on that. But anyways, Ian Redmond, who took over Diane Fossey's site, who actually believes in Sasquatch. Mm -hmm. He goes and looks. He totally believes in it because of the physical evidence he's found in Canada and abroad. Um, and a couple of other scientists were on that show. And they said right at the beginning of the show, the premise was, is that if we're going to talk about this being, then we have to say that it is in, with, within the parameters of the biological record. We're not going to talk about anything that's not. Which right there is not science because science is about exploration. Mm -hmm. Could you imagine if if uh, Einstein said, "I'm only going to uh, talk about the phenomena that atoms do that atoms do that Newton said they do"? Right. Where would we be? Right. So we have a biological creature, and we got we have to accept that it's a biological creature. It has a body. It eats. It runs. It smells. It breathes. We have. We have 20% of our evidence on that, and then we have about 80% that it does all this other stuff. Right. So. so well, real quick, before you go there, you shook your head when I talked about the lights. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, this is really, this is like a really, this is, this was a, a turning point in my, and every time you go out and do research, there's always a turning point. Sure. And there's always a game changer, and. And uh, I've always made jokes like, how far down the rabbit hole do you want to go? Because like I said, I started off with Gigantopithecus. I was sure it was Gigantopithecus. And I had visions of me reading books like Diane Fossey to Gigantopithecus. Right, 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 right. right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> Seriously. Bold notion. Yeah. And then um, one time I was with a colleague in Canada, and we walked up to this lake. Now, this really, again, I can't say this is Sasquatch phenomenon, and I'm not going to go there, but we literally saw these blue lights coming. First of all, one whole side of the lake was kind of lit up, lit up with these, like, blue lights, and I just thought people were camping. Mm -hmm. And then there were these other blue lights that were coming from that direction and flying up into the sky. And I kept saying, no, those are people camping down there. And he's like, no, that's a marsh. I'm like, no, because this is his territory, right? And I'm like, no, there are people camping down there. And he's like, no, that's a marsh. I'm like, no. And, that, and then I said, well, then we have to go home. And I wasn't frightened, but I said, then we have to go home. He's like, why do we have to go home? I go, because that's some UFO researcher stuff, and I do Bigfoot. And I'm not, I don't need to know about this. I don't need to see this. I get to go home. And he started laughing, but I did. I wanted to go home, because I don't know what that was. And, um, and, and, Again, is that Sasquatch phenomena? I can't. It was so you were frightened. I wasn't. No, I wasn't frightened. I just didn't want to deal with that. I don't know. I no. Wait a second. Really? Hey, really? No. I. It was like a discipline. Like I, I want to turn the switch off. It wasn't fear in any I, way. For some reason, I did not get into this to deal with aliens. But you got into <laughs> it to get into the mystery, right? Into Bigfoot. Something, and I think probably, and I'm, I'm, I'll let you know that I'm changing about this, right? Mm -hmm. I'm shifting a bit, but. You know, my whole uh, mental construct for aliens, you know, with the exception of E.T. through via Hollywood, is not a pretty picture. You mm -hmm. know, when you see that big disc flying over you, you're like, they're going to abduct you and stick alien probes in you. You know, like, right. so 
there's a part of me that's like, okay, that's somebody else's dream. I, I don't need to have contact. I don't need to know what's in that flying object. Um, so that's good. That's, that's other people's stuff. But as we're doing this research, and actually I had asked Rich not too long ago, I had this encounter um, in the forest here in the Olympics. And when I described to him what happened, he said, oh, that sounds like a UFO. Uh -huh. and, and I had to laugh at myself because what I had experienced in, again, with my mental construct, I didn't have that kind of idea that, that even that could be a UFO. Like, I st really did have a belief system centered around the Hollywood version of what mm -hmm. an alien was. And, yeah, that version is not pretty. You know, so, no, I didn't want to have anything to do with it. Um, but as a lot of people find out when they do this research that, you know, when you go into the forest at night and you put yourself out there open to phenomena, mm -hmm. you're probably going to experience phenomena. And, yeah, I did see something flying through the trees one day that... I had no mental construct for it, and I asked Rich about it because it was really small. And he says, oh, that sounds like a UFO. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I never even thought about it. Like, I didn't even think about that it could be different mm -hmm. than what I had been raised with. What was the shape and size? You said small, and you did like... Okay, so the, it's a two experience. If you, you'd like me to tell the experience? Yeah. Okay, so I was actually just out hiking, um, and I had my cats with me, which used to go hiking with me. They loved it, and... Um, I heard this noise and I looked up and in the through the trees and it was a big patch of alders so it was very dense. There was a thing that flew completely horizontal with the ground and it never wavered and it didn't move right. It knew exactly where it was going, um, and the only reason why I'd question what it was is because it sounded like a drone. It really sounded like a drone. My cats freaked out so my. I saw what I saw, but really my attention went to my cats and getting them away from it. I didn't know if it was a kind of hawk, a kind of bird that I was not familiar with. I really wasn't sure what it was, but I wanted to get my cats to safety, so we got off the trail. We got out of there. Um, and once I got back home and back to where we to safety, I started to really think about what I saw. Um, broad daylight, something moving about two stories off the ground, mm -hmm. but making a beeline through the trees with no wing flapping at a very, you know, even, that's what got my eye, which is like, right. And Sonia's pulling her finger like it's on a tightrope. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, 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 and uh, why it struck me is because even a bird would have to navigate through trees. Why, how come it's not navigating? You mm -hmm. know, how come it's not how does it know that its course can be like that? What is it seeing, you know? Right. And how can it stay so straight? Straight. And in my recollection, I had to admit that it did seem that I could kind of see like air displacement around it, you know, okay. as you're like moving through water and you would see a wake. Sure. I kind of had that impression, but it was a clear day. But again, it happened kind of quick. I didn't really have a lot to process. I did get out of the forest. Um, about two months later, I was in that very same area, and I'm just standing there, and out of nowhere, that thing comes, like, out of nowhere, and it goes, and right by me, and this time, I did notice displacement. You could see the air. Um, the circle was about uh, three feet in diameter, Okay. Um, and I definitely saw air displacement, and it just went, 
like that, like right by me. Um, again, I was with the cats. I grabbed the cats. We go. Um, and then later I had asked Rich because he's familiar with this area. Mm -hmm. um, and I honestly wanted to say it was a biological entity. You know, mm -hmm. that would be my first go-to. And then that's when he said, oh, that's a UFO. And I'm like, oh. Well, oh. yeah. Is there a difference? Yeah. They don't have to be big. Right. You know, like who knows what they have to be. Mm -hmm. But I'd had a very different impression. So that first time when I was in the forest, I was, I was at night looking for Sasquatch and I saw all those lights. Um, yeah. I didn't want to. I didn't want to deal with a big saucer and things coming out and probing me. <laughs> Rich, how ripe is this area for UFO activity? Uh, you know, I think it used to be back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and then uh, hasn't been that much since then. At least from what I've heard, I don't know, but I know that it used to be pretty hot. My uh, my grandparents had both seen seen them on Hood Canal and out here. Mm -hmm. My mom and my grandma both had a sighting at Four Corners Road. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I believe it was the first day of my mom's seventh grade. So I don't know what year that would have been. She graduated in 1972. So, okay. Um, and it was a cigar shaped and went right down the middle of the road. And there was a lot of, uh, parked on top of a, uh, substation that was by their house. Uh, like, you know, where they did. Banger? No, no, right here. Oh, okay. Town. Okay. A substation for uh, electricity. Oh, I thought you meant a sub base. No. <laughs> okay. Where they had we're, a bunch, you know, where, 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 where everything too. comes in and gets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it parked on top of that. It was really low to the ground and everything. No windows on it, no fire either. Mm -hmm. And it just looked like a silver cigar floating through the air, essentially. Let me ask you a question here. A lot of people report seeing Sasquatch on, um, you know, power stations or electrical walkways where there's power lines. And they point towards the fact that game will go through those and it's easy pickings for them to hunt. I toy with the fact that there's something going on with the electricity itself that they're curious about. You want to know something funny about that? Why people, I've heard people say a lot of things that they assume based on what they think. You know, and the truth of the matter is, is when you have power lines, they, they regularly drop poison along those lines and it keeps the brush down. Oh, gotcha. The animals tend to stay out of it. They move through it, but they don't spend a lot of time in it. Mm -hmm. And they don't eat it, generally, because it's essentially Agent Orange is what they use on it. And, and they know well enough to, to stay away from it. And if you notice any of these power line corridors, generally speaking, you'll, you'll see that the animals may move through it, but it's generally void. They don't spend a lot of time. Not a lot of grazing going on. No, even though it's full of grass, they don't eat it. They stay away from it. They move through it. Okay. You know, that's what the, I generally have noticed. So I don't really buy the idea that Sasquatch utilize it because, you know, um, animals and for food, for a food source to hunt on or anything like that. But maybe they do travel through it. But I would suspect they would probably avoid it just like anybody else. I mean, but they could use the towers to communicate because you can bang on them and hear it for a long ways. You know, just like What's so weird is that the banging and the easy commuting through power line gateways and the wood knocking, that's not my familiarity with the kind of Bigfoot action that we've had before. It's so supernatural, so oh, yeah, yeah. so alien-like that why would they need those qualities suddenly when they're here? What, what happens between the point where they're bursting out of whatever energy source they're coming through and all of a sudden they're like a caveman and they need to hit a tree. I do think, you know, the wood knocking though, what my experience was where at my house where I kind of called them there is I, I, I do think that could be communication where they can identify other other groups that might be nearby. Maybe sometimes they do it that way. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's something. 
it's something for sure. But like I was saying, you know, even before, you know, the reason why that I end up really going real, I guess you would say public with it, with the YouTube stuff and end up through Greg is because I told the story to a lot of people because I thought it was an important story to tell, uh -huh. you know, because my experience, uh, it was a real experience and it was outside of classical science, you know, uh -huh. and, and I, and I testified to it that it, it happened. You know, it's a great story, and, and Greg heard it, and he knew it was a good story. At least people would want to hear it, and, and he thought it was it would get views. So uh -huh. he, he did it, and I'm glad that he did because it, it gave it a platform to really get out there and, and for people to hear it because I think it's really it, it's an important story. I think it's the most valuable part of my experience. Uh -huh. Out of everything that I saw, what happened to me at Harstein Island in that video that came out, uh -huh. and because of my background and the fact that I had a previous sighting, and... Um, it's just great that it's out there. Mm -hmm. It's evidence. Now, know? see, I'm kind of bummed that you said the name of the island. And I'm toying with the fact that I'll edit it out because what happens oh, is... Oh, I want people to know. I've, well, told, I've even gave them the bit between what roads to go to on Sasquatch <laughs> Chronicles and everything. I, I mean, I'm not trying to keep it a secret. I want people to know. I am. It's my next-door neighborhood, yeah. you know? No, but, <laughs> so. but you know, I don't think that... I've gone there many times, and I've never seen another person there looking for Bigfoot. They don't know what to do. You know, and do remember, I, I really, I, if, if I could say anything about this whole endeavor, I do believe they choose us. I don't believe we choose them. I really do. They do not have to make themselves known. We know this. They mm -hmm. are highly elusive. They, they do not have to come forward for any reason whatsoever. So, yeah, I don't think giving away your spot. Okay, Harstein, I think, is a great, is a great example of this, right? I, like I told you, I knocked on doors around there. I went to f 10 houses around there that were close to that area mm -hmm. that bordered it. Right. And I knocked on doors, told them who I was. Some of them I did it in uniform when I was a deputy sheriff and say, hey, I had this experience right behind your house. You know, did you know this is going on? And this is not like a new thing just with me. You know, uh, this is something that we had through the BFRO, through flats. There was a good... You know, 10 years of data, 15 years of data. We had like eight or 10 different witnesses. Do you want another beer? Yeah, I'll take another beer. We had eight or 10 Sonia, different. Sonia, water, beer? Okay. We had like eight. Can we do three waters and one more Guinness? Yeah, I'll take a Guinness <laughs> water too. But anyway, so you gotta we had all these different witnesses that right. had seen this at different times over different years, seen it at the same place. So I knocked on all these doors and I asked them, do you guys know what are, what's going on here? Not one of them had any idea that there was Bigfoot's living in their backyard. And, right. and this is really close in proximity. What I'm saying is that you can tell anybody that you want that this stuff is going on. If these things are able to, to not be identified or, or uh, to be undetected from their neighbors, that they're right. living within literally feet from for years, why would anybody go in there looking and be any type of real threat? Well, see, the game cams, in my opinion, throw out the this theory a little bit because the game cams get rid of the phenomena. I haven't experienced that. You know, Harstein, there was five cameras within 50 yards of where my encounter happened, and they had been there for months. Yeah, you and were there checking that, them, right? Yeah, down yeah. mountain uh, where I had them taking gifts from me and stuff. Okay. And I did maybe get a picture of possibly a Lego one there. They threw rocks at me when I was setting cameras up. It did not deter one bit about coming around with the cameras. Okay. Eventually, you know, some of the tactics I used pissed them off, and so they got offended. Mm -hmm. And things kind of stopped, and they and they, they actually did something that was really really strange. He can have the Guinness, and we'll take um, the waters. But yeah, I mean, um, thank you, buddy. Yeah, it's 
Yes, Sonia. You know, I think um, one of the things, we're so industrialized Thanks, and uh, civilized, for lack of a better word, um, is like what humans like to call themselves. But, you know, we have, there's part of a, a part of humanity that we have forgotten, right? We don't hunt for food every day. And we have forgotten what it was to be a forest dweller. And I, I, I just want to share with one of the things that came up in my research is I did some research uh, uh, to some tribes in Africa who had been discovered in the 50s, right? Um, they were bush people. And uh, this gentleman from Oxford, I read all his journals. He went to Ox he was from Oxford. He went to a uh, tribe that was entirely a bush tribe, and he lived with them for two years. And uh, his research is, is funny. He's very male-dominated. He didn't even talk to the women of the tribe. He didn't know what they did. But he did get to live with these people in the bush. Now, he found out about these people because they were uh, they would trade bush meat with the other tribes that did not live in the forest. And one of the things, um, so he knew about them, but they were not civilized. They were 100% nomadic. And this is in the 1950s in Africa, okay? And these are humans, okay? 1950s in Africa, they live nomadically in the forest. They leave no trace. Right. Zero trace. Um, and two fascinating things came from that research. Well, there's several things. Um, but one of the things that the tribe did was, you know, they had fire. But they had these special leaves in a special container where uh, that did not burn. Mm -hmm. And so they kept the same coal that they had had from once they got fire. And that tribe carried that. One family was responsible for that one piece of fire. So in the 1950s, you have a people that are living so close to the earth that you can't tell where they bed down at night. They, they, build, their, they build their domiciles and their sleeping arrangements that day. They live where the game is. They catch their game, their food. They nomadically move through the forest. And the reason I'm telling you this is because one of the things that was really funny in the book and with the researcher is that the gentleman from England said, you know, I've been with you for two years now, and why won't you take me hunting? And the, the, the man who his, was his liaison and uh, was his caretaker in the tribe and invited him to stay with them said, started laughing. He goes, well, you can't hunt. And he's like, why can't I hunt? And it became one of those moments that was a who's on first. He's right. like, he started laughing, going, you can't hunt. <coughs> he's like, but why? Why can't I hunt? He's like, but you can't hunt. And then finally, after laughing, and these people had a lot of laughter in their life and a lot of games and fun, he finally just explained to the researcher, you cannot silent walk. Oh. So in the 1950s, you had a human tribe that could walk through the forest silently and not be heard. So there are things about our own people that we have forgotten that we have capabilities, mm -hmm. let alone a being that's lived in the forest for since humanity has been on this planet because every culture has a history of a giant that lived in the forest going back to the Gilgamesh. So you have these special abilities and these skills um, that we ourselves have had, let alone think about some sort of relic hominid paranormal sort of being that lives in our forest. You know, we could silent walk. Humans on this planet could silent walk through a forest mm -hmm. and you would never know they were standing right next to you. 
let alone this thing called Sasquatch. So, well, so often uh, people explain the answer of Bigfoot as something that's lesser on the evolutionary chain. It's, they're behind us because they don't have skyscrapers. They're not driving a cyber truck. You know, they're they're interacting with nature. So, you know, somehow that is lesser according to you know most of popular culture, but. Yeah, Your argument I'm is sorry. against that. You're saying that these things are super evolved. Super evolved. We're actually, if you ask me, we're the least evolved on the planet because we have we don't have the ability to just be. Every being on this planet mm -hmm. has the ability to just to be, and humans can't seem to get that right. So you think absolutely they have language. Oh yeah. You think that they have religion? Mm, I don't know that. Okay. I don't they have know a that. culture. They have a culture. Mm-hmm. Do they have uh, relationships? Do they have yes. a husband, a mate, a I don't wife? Know about, I don't know about a male-female bonding relationships. Mm -hmm. they, they have familial and tribal relationships. And I think their tribal relationships are more bounded by family. They're familial. And why do you feel that way? Um, my experiences in Canada, um, two different um, families I was around. I knew one was... One was, uh, they have different familial structures, but they're familial. And they do have a leader in their group. They have a leader of the pack. Mm -hmm. One was male, and the other one was actually female. Mm -hmm. One was a younger male. Uh, there were four people in his group. Mm -hmm. um, the female had about 11 beings, but I only met her. I only, I only interacted with her briefly, mm -hmm. um, very briefly. And the male, I knew right away. I don't know how I knew that. But um, I was working with a colleague. His name's Randy Brisson. He's also experienced a lot of derision in this um, field endeavor, mm -hmm. which he is not a hoaxer. Absolutely not. Matter of fact, some of the most amazing, incredible physical evidences I have ever seen have come from Randy Brisson. Mm -hmm. um, and I was in his area. Like I said, this is we went to his gifting site and I knew who was there right away. Like it was just obvious. Mm -hmm. um, I don't really know how I know that. Uh, so I do think they have familial bonds. I don't understand any of their hierarchy. Um, I still don't necessarily think that necessarily religion is, is an evolved um, state of being as well. Um, I know chimps right now, they just had chimps ritual, ritual might be an evolved state of being, ceremony, mm -hmm. and gratitude and appreciation for all that is given mm -hmm. might be a higher state. But to blindly follow a uh, doctrine, um, I don't think that that necessarily is evolved, mm -hmm. actually. Um, I do think they are a higher species. Um, I think humanity uh, is really misinformed to believe they're the apex predator on this planet, the apex being based on all of our results, the fact that there are something like Sasquatch, UFOs, and ghosts, we know all of these things exist, so why do we think we're the highest? Um, David Polites, his work, uh, really actually asserts that humans are hunted. Humans are hunted. If you really think about the, uh, what happens to the people that go missing in Polites' experience, his, his works, mm -hmm. he tells you right now, it's the young, the old, and not doing so well. Well, what do we pick off of a herd animal? 
<laughs> what is the natural thing we mm -hmm. hunt? Every being on this planet, every predator picks off the young, the old, and the not so doing well, right? The but also right. he has people that are on the spectrum as far as high intellect, physicists, Germans. They're Germans, right? Yeah. But that could be, so that I think could do not necessarily with ethnicity, but it could do with blood type. RH negative? Yeah. Are you? Right? I No, I'm not. But I am negative, which is a rare. <laughs> Super negative. Yeah, A negative. <laughs> um, I'm A negative. No, I'm not. I have a theory about RH negative. Um, it seems to be linked. It seems to be linked that but people mostly, have experiences. But mostly, again, it's still children. The number one suspect is a child, and mm -hmm. that's what gets picked off, right? And I don't believe it's Sasquatch, um, and I've said that at the conference too, and I've said this before, because the one distinction that you have in Sasquatch encounters is that dogs will not track a Sasquatch. Dogs mm -hmm. will cower. They will freak out. They'll go, they'll, they get scared. Right. Dogs are scared of tracking a Sasquatch experience. In David Polite's situation, mm. dogs will cannot. They cannot. And there's a distinction. The dogs cannot find a trail. The dogs will circle around where the person was missing. Right. There's no lead in. But they don't sit there and go, I'm not going to track this. And that's what happens in the Sasquatch experience. They take a whiff and they're like, mm. no, no, I'm not doing that. I'm going to go back to my, I'm going back to the truck. I'm going back somewhere. Right. Sorry. That's right. Um, so... But if you really look at, you know, the list of what Pylades is talking about, generally speaking, it's, you know, it's what we know is predation. That's what we do. We pick off the young, the old, and the not so well. The fact that they're highly German, I think, has to do with the blood type. And if you're a predator, you can smell that. If you're a highly, if you're a highly ordered predator, you can smell blood type. You can smell disease. Mm -hmm. Wolves pick out wolves pick out diseased body parts and won't eat them. So, yeah, um, we're not alone, and we're not the apex predator on this planet. And this, oh, let me just take that back. We're not the apex predator in this experience. <laughs> what about your experiences, either one of you? Uh, do you have any abduction experience in your family? Any missing time? Anything that would point to? The fact that you somehow, and a lot of people get irritated by this, but you're unique or you're special. You've been chosen by the secret schools. Uh, no. I remember you were asking me some questions, and like I told you that uh, when I was a little kid, I used to wake up in the middle of the night sometimes mm -hmm. and have a, um, a context of everything would kind of feel weird, and I'd have a, a metallic taste in my mouth. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And... Um, that it would happen really, and then all of a sudden you would wait it out, and then everything would revert to normalcy. Everybody else would be asleep. It's not almost like you didn't know if there's a presence there or something like that. It's not that. It's just that everything you felt like you you were seeing everything or feeling everything from a different standpoint. It just felt strange, right? And um, definite taste of battery in your mouth, like having a battery would, taste. Would you ever get uh, regressed? Regressed, what do you mean? Hypnotically regressed to try to recall some of these Oh, I wouldn't memories. what that was about. I mean, I, I don't know. I guess maybe there was something significant that happened before you woke up, mm -hmm. before you felt that way. Right. That made you feel that way, you know. And, and a lot of the times, I w it was when I was a little kid, and I might have been in bed with my mom because my dad was doing different jobs and mm -hmm. gone. Me and my brother might have slept in the same bed. As her. I remember some of them, or me and my brother slept in the same bed lots of times, and he would be there too, mm -hmm. you know. 
I did have an incident where, uh, probably ghost-related, where I was in my grandpa's house that was up here in town here on Hill Street, and uh, we were in his spare bedroom, and I just happened to wake up in the middle of the night to see the door handle turn and the door open. Right. But then there was no nobody there. You hear the door handle turn and the door open, and then the door just stayed open. And I wasn't afraid or anything like that. But it was my uh, grandmother's bedroom, and she had died. Did you feel well a pre- did you feel a presence standing there? I don't know. I mean, I was a little kid. I was probably only yeah. like thir- 12, no, ten maybe, mm-hmm. eight or nine or ten. And my brother was sleeping in there too. He was asleep. But uh, what do you think of Albert Osman's story? Oh, that's a great story. Okay. I don't doubt any of it. It seems pretty legit. I think that in his story in particular, I think that he's like one of the early witnesses to, to show a lot of these things, like with with uh, language communication, potentially just behavioral stuff, right? How they acted, the fact that they were interested in him, you know, and and uh, essentially kidnapped him. But um, I think that if you look at little details in Albert's story, um, it really details a, 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 a much further advanced thing that was being looked for by Peter Br- by all these guys, Renee DeHinden and all these people at that time. Mm-hmm. They were looking for an ape to shoot. Well, I, I think that they were really not paying real close attention to what Albert Osman had experienced at that time and, and, and the complex you know, mm-hmm. um, possible language that was related to him because he, he experienced them jabbering with each other. And then just the family structure and how they were... I think that people failed to connect the dots, you know, early on, you know, with some stuff that was happening at that time and with him. And then investigators, I think investigators for for a long time have been ignoring what we kind of have experienced a little bit and what we've discussed today. And I'm not quite sure why it gets, it can't evolve and progress forward, you know? Well, let me ask you this, as far as, I mean, Less than 60 miles from us right now, parked off of Bremerton, is the USS Nimitz. Yeah. There's a huge wake of disclosure going on since 2017. Oh, related to... Okay, yeah, I know well, where you're going. Okay, so anybody who's not informed about it, you guys are all informed about this, correct, Sonia? I'm not sure. Okay. Uh, you know, a group of uh, naval pilots saw UFOs off the coast of San Diego. But this involves Bigfoot, too, because a lot of that money came out of D.C., towards Skinwalker Ranch. Mm-hmm. And of course, Skinwalker Ranch has details about UFOs, but it's got a lot of Bigfoot stuff in it, too. Sure, they got Bigfoot that step out of portholes there. You know, I had a lot of conversations with uh, Dave Politis. Me and Dave, you know, he was always talking to me, trying to get information out of me related to Justin Smedja, uh, and, and Dave was involved with me at the same time with Melba Ketchum. That's why we started talking a lot. And he was really interested in, in the first launch of the Bigfoot Project, in fact, Olympic Project, where Dave promoted us with some stuff that came out early on and was really engaged with us. Right. And um, I forgot no, that's all right. No, we're, we're talking about disclosure affecting this world and maybe helping move it beyond traditional Newtonian answers. Yeah. I mean, because to go to that world, to go into the interstellar answer of you know, uh, anti-gravitational propulsion. Right. right. I mean, they talked about this yeah. omniscience that Sonia talked about, and I'm very familiar yeah. with the type, we all are, with this omniscient element. Something may very well n- know that your Guinness is a quarter of the way 
full right now. I believe that whatever's going on has this type of omniscience. And in Skinwalker Ranch, they talk explicitly well, about yeah. this thing doing something, and I'll, let's call it the phenomena, interacting with them the moment that their heads were turned. Now, it wasn't a matter of the fact that this stuff listens to you. It's at the beginning of your forethought to make yeah. a move to leave. It's already seen yeah. this, This you know, the time well, Dave, is different. Dave was heavily interested in Skinwalker because he's good friends with George Knapp, who had been there a couple of times. Right, and wrote the book. And, uh, yeah, and so Dave would try to go there, too, and nobody would let him go. <laughs> but um, anyway, so I'd heard about that place a right. long, long time ago, 10 years, you know, mm -hmm. about what was happening there and the intrigue, and he was telling me stories about what were going on and who Georgia talked to and all this stuff. And, and so, yeah, I mean, what, what is there, 21 trillion missing from the Pentagon related to black ops, po possibly? Oh. You know, there's a lot of money going into this type of research, right, that we don't ever hear anything about that, that isn't subject to... That was before 9-11. You're talking about the... That was a few trillion missing. Right. But now they're talking, you know, there's 20-some trillion that right. altogether that have just disappeared through the Pentagon, right? Mm -hmm. The military-industrial complex that basically mm -hmm. has all of this money mm -hmm. and ability to do all this research and right. fund itself through all this stuff, and there's all this missing taxpayer dollars, which we don't have any clue which what it paid for, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, obviously, they have. What I'm saying, I guess, is that they have put massive amounts of financial resources into to finding as much as possible about these phenomena. Mm -hmm. Yet we aren't told anything about it. Now that the bar is officially Other open, it's going to be a little harder. So I'm going to have you guys speak up a little bit more here. I think she, she wanted to say something. Yeah, go ahead, Sonia. Just speak a little bit louder into the mic. Now. Um, I was just excited to talk about the ranch, yeah. the Gorman Ranch. And I wanted to go back to, um, what was his name, the gentleman that got kidnapped we were talking about earlier? Albert. Yeah, Albert, Albert, yeah. Uh, yeah. Albert, you know, and Ron talks about this. Ron Moorhead talks about this in his book. Um, and it's a that the gentleman who took that report, there's a discrepancy about where the gentleman says he was and then the time frame in which he got back. And it doesn't make sense from when he said he left that group of Sasquatch and where he came out, um, which would, you know, nobody can find where he was basically, really, from his account of where he went and how long he traveled. And so, there is an essence that he was somewhere he doesn't know where he was. I, you know what I mean? Like he got taken somewhere where it, they really can't figure out exactly by his account where he was. So there's an element to it of losing time, losing space, um, maybe going through a portal coming out of one because there's, there's plenty of uh, people who say that he could not have physically gotten to where he was from where he had been abducted. Nevertheless, that was just something p interesting to know, and Ron talks about that too. It's interesting to know. Why was he so specific that he said, no, I was here, and then I went to this point, and everyone's saying, well, that's really not possible. But he specifically said, no, I was taken here, and I got to this point. Um, so something had to have happened. Something, um, something happened with the space, because it's, it's not adding up. Mm -hmm. um, with the skin, with the Gorman Ranch, I don't like to ever say that name, the other one, um, because they are there, right? Um, and they are a dark energy. And, and I do believe the native, uh, you don't want to talk about them. Right. Um, and I do get the sense that uh, um, with them it's something, and it's the same with the Sasquatch too, right? And the UFO and all this paranormal information that we're talking about, 
Nietzsche was right. If you stare into the abyss long enough, it stares back. And um, I'm an empath, and I know that to be the case in my life, and it took me a long time to even um, acknowledge that I'm an empath. And what that means is, is that I have a sense about me that like, if something is haunted, I, I know it. Um, and I've always avoided that because of exactly that thing. Once you look at something, then it knows you're looking at it. Um, it's intelligent. It's two mm -hmm. ways. There are two types of spirits. Although there are two types of spirits on the planet, there's um, the type of entity that just gets trapped in an emotional blockage, and you can be privy to that. It's actually not conscious, but there is another type of energy that is absolutely conscious, and that would be the type of energy that creates um, poltergeists, for instance. And I do have that a little bit of a wall up. Like I said, this whole thing earlier in the story about the alien stuff, I'm like, I, that's great for other people. I have enough on my plate with Sasquatch. I have enough on my plate being um, an empath because you are necessarily, when you engage in this um, phenomena, you're inviting it, you are inviting it to your, your, to your sphere, to your home, to your consciousness. Um, if I were to stay, let's say here, I'm sure this place, just given by the looks of it, I haven't felt anything, but I'm sure this place probably has some haunting in it. Yeah. A lot. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> um, and uh, you can tell when you drive up that it does. And if I were to stay here for a while, that, that energy would make itself known to me. Um, so even with the Sasquatch, I mm -hmm. think that actually benefits me being an empath, but it took me a long time to even acknowledge or even admit that that was my experience in life. Right. Um, and for those reasons. So going back to the Gorman Ranch, um, one of the things that the humans, which is so funny about this, right? So ironic, is that all the people that have been there have been fearful of those experiences, right? Like there's one story that uh, that George Knapp relays at the very end where um, the couple, the couple of the Gormans were out and they were tagging their new calves. Yeah. And they had walked to one end of the pasture. They had just tagged a calf and they walked to one end of the pasture with their dog to tag a second. And when they, the dog made a large bark and they looked back and then their dog supposedly took off and they never saw the dog again. And they walked back and that calf had been entirely mutilated when they were there. Mm -hmm. But the, the go-to, the natural response is to be freaked out about that, right? Wouldn't you just be a human be, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Well, yeah, because what would do that that you want to be friends with? But here's the thing. If that thing, whatever happened, did that to that calf, could it not have easily done it to the humans and the dog? Well, Rich's point that it has. I mean, if we're looking at what's going on with David Polites, I mean... No, they're abducted. I'm talking, like, mutilated. Right. And la yeah, filleted right there, right? So I'm, I'm actually not so afraid of that. Like, I want to know what that is, because the potential to harm me is there, correct, but right. the the physical result is actually it didn't harm those humans. Well, the people that are taken, and you brought this up too, I mean, what's worse, to be taken and be disposed of and God knows which way or to be splayed out on the farm? I mean... But we could be talking about different entities, like I said, a lot of different beings, right? I don't know who did that mutilation. But it's the type of omniscience that serves something other than good. Well, I would definitely say that about the walkers because the Native Americans have said that, right? And... Um, they talked about the dark valley in that in that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. There's there's some darkness going on there. There's some darkness. 
for sure. And this is in the Four Corners area between Utah, Arizona, New Mexico, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that's what J.C. Johnson is doing. Oh, J.C. Johnson, right, he passed too. Yeah. So there's independent researchers in these areas here. I don't know if, yeah, I mean, uh, traditionally these areas are called like spots of the fun. They're all over. Right, you and, and there is actually, it's almost like a kind of a Bermuda Triangle-ish right. area where all this happens. But again, the happening, happening like that, mm -hmm. like I'm just standing here and now that thing is gone, mm -hmm. um, I know I would be really freaked out. I was freaked out with the deer in my yard. Mm -hmm. But the truth is, is it, it didn't. I don't know why that was a communication like I'm right here mm -hmm. um, and I'm intelligent and I can do things that you can't even do. You can talk. What's that, Rich? You, okay. Why don't we take a, can we take yeah. a five or 10 minute break yeah. and then we'll come back everyone? Okay. Let's take a break. This year, make it a feral by Aaron Christmas or Yule. Imagine above the hearth, an empty sock. Stick a feral by Aaron rattle inside that baby. Underneath the tree, what do I do? I don't know. He or she loves interesting alchemy sound tools. Oh my gosh. Get an elk hide drum, or a bear skin drum, or deer skin drum. Or, if you have a Christmas spirit that lingers, and it's this time to shuffle off to Buffalo, you may want to look at smudge fans. Feral by Aaron has beautiful crafted museum quality and i mean that alchemy sound tools that's at feral by aaron at etsy.com so hang up a piece of mistletoe get online and make feral by aaron your one-stop shop strange brow radio wishes you and all your family a happy holiday beautiful yule and a merry christmas We were talking about the Skinwalker Ranch. Okay, yeah. And you privately are seeking an invitation. Was that met with laughter? Because I would imagine there'd be a lot of people trying to get in to Skinwalker Ranch. I, I don't know that a lot of people would want to go there, but I definitely, I have interest. Yeah, I would want to go there. Do you think that that holds some answers for you as regard to the phenomena itself? What, what's the interest? What if it follows you home? Well, Sasquatch already followed you home. Plus, you know, I've, my whole life, you know, like I said, I uh, haven't been so forthcoming about being an empath um, for the same reasons. I've always had kind of a scientific and logical mind. And mm -hmm. uh, so that's kind of the part of the evidence of life that you're like, oh, yeah, that just happened, but whatever. Um, I just feel like I could be a service there. I feel like I could be a service there. I would understand what was going on. That's why I want to go. Okay, a lot of people say they're an empath. Mm -hmm. More so, I think women say they're empath more so than men. Would you agree with that? Is that women's intuition that we're talking about? What separates women's intuition from, from what you're empath, talking? Right. Yeah. Okay, so I cannot speak to, because there are a lot of people who say they're empaths, um, and there are a lot of people who say they're psychic. Mm -hmm. um, I cannot speak to their abilities. I can only speak to what I experience. So I call it an empath, but the way it shows up for me, if that like, even here, if there is a spirit that needs to speak or wants to communicate, it, it will log on to me and I will get a communication. I either via dream or um, 
something will happen that I will know something. And what mm -hmm. I call it for me is feel no, right? So I can walk into a room and feel no that something bad or some a ghost may be there. Um, oh, feel no. K-N-O. Got you. Okay. It's a feeling that no. And that, again, I'm only describing my experience. I can't tell you what other people, and I don't want to, I say empath, um, but what it means for me is that I feel no things. Mm -hmm. And um, it doesn't happen all the time. I can't, I can't like look at Rich and go, okay, this happened like a psychic would. You Don't know? look at him right like, now. Especially. I'm getting, you know how you see those guys where like, I'm getting the letter M and you have right. a, someone in your family. No, 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 no. But what'll happen is, is I could have been hanging out with Rich and then that night I'll go home and dream something about him and, and tell him about that dream and it'll come up true. That's happened my whole life. Mm -hmm. So I get spoke to in dreams. Mm -hmm. um, and then feeling, knowing something, um, I'll give you a good example as far as like, I had a dear friend who swore that his house in Kansas was haunted. The, his, the, house, that he, the house that he grew up in, the house that his mother still owned, and she passed away in, right? Right. And that house was haunted. And there was, he said there was a room in the house that nobody went into. They boarded it off because they had kind of poltergeist activity in the room. But they never left the house because the mom liked the house for some reason. And so they just lived with that paranormal experience in one area of the house. So he told me that story, and it was in the back of my mind. I, we, he had mentioned some, sometimes ghost things happened, and again, back in my mind, back in my mind. One day we're sitting down for dinner, and he brings out this photo album, and he's showing me all these pictures of his youth. And as I, he shows these pictures, I'm seeing his house, and I recall that he had told me these stories that it was haunted. Um, and I'm going through the photos, and I'm like, you know, I'm not getting anything. I, I, I'm just being honest with you. Like, I don't know why you, you know, I know you have these experiences in your home, but I, I have to tell you, I'm not getting anything. Mm -hmm. And I keep going through the photos and we're talking, go through some photos and he pulls out this one photo and it's him and his brother on a swing in the backyard and it's behind the house. And I look up and I see this little window and I was like, oh, 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 oh yeah. That, that, yeah, 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 haunted, definitely haunted. Like, oh my God, so haunted. Yeah, right there. And he just looks at me, he goes, that's the room with the boarded up. Oh, really? So it's a feel no. It's, I can't really, and I just got chills telling you that story, but mm. that's the absolute truth. That was the room that was boarded up. That was the room that was haunted. Um, that's how it shows up to me. I've been like that my whole life. And even feel no something, mm -hmm. um, as a child, we lived in Spain and we did a lot of traveling in Europe mm -hmm. and my parents wouldn't know things. They would even to the fact like, like knowing what signage was. And I recall my parents asking me, Sonia, what does that sign mean? And I'm like, Oh, you can't go that direction or you have to go this way and feel no. I didn't know mm -hmm. how I knew that. And they didn't know how I knew it either. Um, what about psychometry? What's Ab psychometry? Ability to know things by touch, feeling objects. Yes, but not always. See, I, this is why I don't call myself a psychic, and mm -hmm. is because I, I don't control it, mm -hmm. right, at all. Yes, I can pick objects up and feel no things about it. Mm -hmm. um, matter of fact, one of the, how I even know that I really have this ability is because, you know, when we go get a massage, mm -hmm. lots of times I can tell things by, to my massage therapist about them. You know, not every time, you know. But the one that stands out was one time I was getting a massage and I just kept having this vision of these horses running through mm -hmm. uh, like forest. Okay. And there was a big white fence. 
and there was this big white fence and these horses running through the forest. And I go, wow, it was a great massage. And I just kept seeing all these horses and this white fence. And the woman just looked at me like, what? And in her childhood, her parents had horses and they had this property. And one of her favorite things was to go past the white fence and take her horse through the forest and ride. You know, so mm-hmm. it's not something that I, I have any control over. It's not something that I... I work or try to exercise. Mm-hmm. I don't go to classes to figure it out. You know, it's just something that's been with me my whole life, and it's called feel no. You know, mm-hmm. that's the only thing I can say about it. And it happens. It doesn't happen all the time, mm-hmm. um, uh, but it does happen absolutely. So, wow. What about you, Rich? Do you feel no anything? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right, next. It just is a matter of. Uh, well, you I both of you my, are. I trust my gut, my intuition. Which right, which makes you strong. what makes you probably good in in the service, the military, and working for law enforcement. Mm-hmm. But you both aren't doing anything to amp up your intuition, your abilities. Oh, I don't know if that's the case or not. I am. I you are probably yeah. like what? Uh, I take cannabis oil. Does that help? I think so. A little closer with the mic. Yeah. I, yeah. Why not? I mean, it's a. Um, Cannabis oil Psychoactive. Okay. So, I mean, it would have some assistance in that. And if you're regularly taking it, you're kind of... What about psychedelics? Are you taking those? (laughs) No, but cannabis oil would have, you know, Mm -hmm. it could have maybe a a similar effect, but maybe slightly different just because it kind of opens up different things, you know, going on. And you maybe look at things from a different point of view. I mean, I'm not like... Mm -hmm. I just take it occasionally. And I mean, I probably have it in my system pretty regularly just because it stays in so long right but um, do you take it to deal with something no i took it essentially initially i took it as a um medicinally i guess i still do but i took a um i don't know uh, i don't know if you heard of rick simpson before no he's a guy that kind of re uh re um in i guess he refound this cannabis oil extract where they do an alcohol extraction from uh, cannabis, just marijuana, flower, leaf, whatever, mm-hmm. where they soak it in alcohol and then they cook it off in like a, uh, they cook the alcohol off in like a rice cooker, for okay. example, where the alcohol vents off, gases off, and then you end up with a really uh, like heavy black thick oil. It's like a complete extraction of the plant. <clears throat> it's really high in THC, depending on what the concentration is in the in that specific strain. It's black because it's got chlorophyll in it and all everything. Cannabinoids. It's got all these compounds in it, and, and medicinally, it, it has a lot. Uh, I mean, you can allegedly people have used it to cure cancer and then do all different types of other things where it's helped. You know, uh, helped your cannabinoid system reestablish itself, so it repairs a lot of broken and damaged processes in your body and tries well, to has it, re- has it repaired things do you think it's opening up a pineal gland what do you think it's doing i think it does all that you know i think it kind of what it does you know i took it for a couple of years where i took what they call a cancer cure dose is where you take like a gram a day yeah. right so i took it for like two years straight after i got done being a cop and um i had some post-traumatic stress and stuff related to that and i was dealing with just a recovery in general of that stressful environment consistently for so long and mm-hmm. it really helped with that i think and then um I used to have high blood pressure, and I don't have that anymore. And so it's hered- it was hereditary with me, but I think the oil in particular kind of fixed that and, and just did other things. And, you know, it really opened my mind up, I think, in general, and allowed me to, to be a lot more open-minded. Well, what did it open up? 
uh, as far as like if you're talking like in the terms of what Sonya's talking mm. about, do you find that you have? I think now it kind of allowed you to expand, you know, more because you're you're kind of regular. Okay, think about it this way, right? You're taking marijuana, uh, this oil that's like 80% THC, and you're taking a, you're having to acclimate yourself over a period of time. So you can handle a high dose, which is considered a dose that they would use to cure cancer, which is like a gram a day over three months. But I did that for two year, over two years, where I took that same amount. Right. So I acclimated myself to being able to take a really high dose and function normally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was stoned a lot of the time, but nobody knew <laughs> except me, right? But at that same time, you're, you're taking this massive dose of cannabinoids, THC, CBD, mm-hmm. all this stuff, all these ones they don't even know. And... Um, that has a psychoactive effect, right? So nobody else knows that you're basically kind of, I guess you would say you're slightly on a trip for consistently for two years straight. And I guess if you can imagine what kind of doorways might open up, or I, I know when, when people use marijuana, right, you might think of things in a different point of view. It can help people be creative. It can help a lot of different aspects. Well, think about it when you're taking a really high dose that you're acclimated to for a long period of time where you're just kind of in this period of expanded thinking for a long period of time. So you're just, your mind's wandering and you're thinking about all these different possibilities of things and thinking about things in a different way than you normally would have. And, you know, you're kind of standing outside yourself so you're able to t- sort of look into yourself and, and maybe solve problems because you can kind of look at yourself in an abstract way from the outside right? and kind of dive in and see the pathway for repair that normally you wouldn't be able to see. Right, and and that kind of helps, and, and that kind of helps in a lot of things. You so know, it brings it brings you outside your ego to where you can kind of see where the maintenance maybe can maybe, go. maybe you can fix a lot of things that way with the assistance of this type of thing. Where and I think I, I was able to do it with myself, mm-hmm. and and then I think it, and it really, what it really did is it gave me comfort in who I was and, mm-hmm. and let me completely divert, you know, mm-hmm. from everybody else because I kind of feel like that's where I'm at is where I'm on my own program. Mm-hmm. I don't care what anybody else thinks. I look at the world and, and, and my role in it and, and, and everything maybe in a different way than most people do. And I'm comfortable in the way that I view things. I don't really care. Did it help you expand your consciousness to the point where you saw entities? No, I wouldn't say that. Uh, you know, And this was going on where I was taking this oil too, which was through the tail end of the whole Sasquatch thing. So... So maybe these things had an enhanced doorway where they were able, or other things were able to communicate with me, you know, and and maybe give me some information uh, related to things. Right, right. Keep going. You're you're fine. Because I was, I took the stuff. Unless Sonia, you want to take it. I still take a maintenance dose of it. Right. You know, maybe a couple times a week, I might take a small amount. Right. And um, it's always in my system. I mean, it's, it did so much for me. I mean, health-wise, I think. Like, I'm telling you, I had. I had blood pressure since I was like 21, off and on, elevated level. And it got to the point finally in my mid-30s where I got medicated. Mm-hmm. And it's always something that was hereditary in my right. family. And I, after I took this oil, I don't have high blood pressure anymore. I don't need anything for it. It's always normal. And I had it before. And it wasn't like, it, it, was, it was partially caused by stress, probably. But mostly it was a hereditary. I was going to be on medication at some point anyways, because everybody mm-hmm. else had been. And I was already dealing with it. Mm-hmm. And then I took this oil and it, and it fixed it. It repaired that problem. It didn't treat a symptom. It fixed the problem. Somehow it helped fix it. it maybe it was, maybe I fixed it through the aid of this. It, it opened doorways up to help me mm-hmm. to do it. Or maybe it did it. I don't know. But I think that um, 
I did also notice too with taking the cannabis oil that uh, I healed way faster, like from trauma, physical trauma, like lacerations, anything, mm-hmm. bruising, and I get hurt quite a bit because I am pretty physical. And what about with your ex- when, with your experiences, Rich, your Sasquatch experiences? Mm-hmm. Did you experience anything that would have caused PTSD from having those experiences? Oh, sure. I think that uh, my harvesting experience, specifically post-traumatic stress related to that, I think my first experience, just the fact that I saw this thing that wasn't supposed to exist, and that's what really started to um, destroy my belief system, I think, the first encounter. Right. And the fact that I saw this thing that was real as day i mean sure as shit i saw this thing and i had not been told about this but it was there it was real and how come i have to see this thing and go through this experience and have no answers right when obviously i wasn't the first person i was i I was upset you know i felt like i said in the i felt one of the first things i felt after the fear went away or, or the excitement was the betrayal i felt betrayed by who well, you know, I was serving in my country, you know, in my community as a cop, and I'd been in the military, and, and I had gone through this system of indoctrination through the educational system, and, and I was told everything that allegedly I was supposed to be told and everything I needed to know to be successful, yet this thing shows up and it's here and it's real, and, and um, I wasn't told about this. Mm-hmm. How come? And I wasn't obviously the first person. So I have to deal with this psychological trauma related to this incident because I have no knowledge related to this which I, I should have been told. I think it's irresponsible that I went through life up to that point and, and I wasn't informed that I may encounter this thing because it's there, right? I wasn't told anything about it through our, I guess you would say, uh, our established system mm-hmm. of humanity that we're in right now. They, they, they decided that, that it wasn't important for me to know about whoever sets the rules decided it wasn't important for me to know because I know that I wasn't the only one that had seen it and I know that people know obviously about this but how come it's a surprise how come I have to deal with all the psychological aspects of this how it changes everything from that point forward you know and then there's no answers you can't go see a clinical psychologist or anybody Mm -hmm. or a therapist and say hey you know I had this encounter with this Mm -hmm. this huge hairy humanoid and and I didn't know anything about it. And what is this all about? Do you have any answers for me? Is there is there anything right. you can tell me that can comfort me related to this or make me more comfortable? Or or, or, or who should I go to and talk to, to the, about this? Or right. who can I confide right. in? Or, or who can um, inform me or, or, or let me know what's safe and not safe? And what sure. behavior pa- pattern should I have after this, after I have this knowledge, right? There, I mean, I, I, was, I felt betrayed because all those questions went through my mind in a short period of time. And I was like, how come... This wasn't part of my educational indoctrination or, 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 you know, whatever system I went through, you know, that we all go through in the public public school system. Okay. <laughs> you understand what I'm I mean, saying? I mean, the simple question would be, and I've asked other people this question. I'm not going to ask you guys this question here because I think it's a boring question. I think the deeper question, and you guys will run away with this one, I'm sure, is, and I'll ask Sonia here. Sonia, why, why won't they tell us what it is? What, what is so shrouded in mystery that they can't just say, okay, you may encounter this, and here's these attributes of these beings here. Why won't they say? Because well, they certainly know. There's a part of it. It's Okay, so you know we have this new term, I would say, in this uh, last 10 years, cognitive dissonance. 
right? Cognitive dissonance is where you, something rubs up against your belief system in such a way, like, see, Rich was open to having that experience at some level, right? Some part of his consciousness was open, and so he's not denying him, himself the experience or the aftermath or the research or the conversation, right? There are hunters, and I've met them, actually, who said, okay, Sonia, I'm going to tell you, right? Right. I'm going to tell you. I'm not talking to anybody. I don't tell my parents about this experience. So there's that. So there's cognitive dissonance we're dealing with. And we have, we have certain uh, societal structures in place right now that um, want the control of what humanity does. Right. And uh, those structures are huge, and they're big, and they're ginormous. And for some reason, they, they actually... Um, the benefit for them is power, money, and control. Um, and anything outside of that framework is a threat to them because it takes down, it takes away from their power and control. So that's one reason why that wouldn't be in um, the rhetoric that we get to grow up with and the awarenesses that we get to have. But if we really think about it, humanity is actually a lost species. We don't know who we are. We don't know where we come from. We have lots of different ideas, and I believe that there's one, there are a few tribes out there that actually have what I would consider knowledge, but I do want to go back to like real knowledge of who we are and where we came from. Um, I think we've been told stories for a lot of time that are just flat out bogus mm -hmm. and stupid, and they're in those places to keep a certain group of people in power and control in, on this planet. Um, but I want to go back to the psychotropic experience that he was talking about, too. So consciousness, human consciousness, without a sober human consciousness is biologically dialed to experience a certain amount of phenomena to, uh, to merit survival, period. Right. Like, human consciousness doesn't need necessarily for survival on this time-space continuum called Earth uh, to know about ghosts or Sasquatch. We don't, it's not necessary information. This is why, uh, and the spiritual side of things, this is why indigenous cultures have used psychotropics to elicit a broader picture for humans um, that of what is going on. So what happens, either if it's uh, marijuana, if it's uh, psilocybin, uh, if it's ayahuasca, um, if it's uh, peyote, these sorts of psychotropics are here. Um, and medicine people, women, shamans, have always used these things to expand consciousness, but it doesn't really necessarily expand consciousness. This is, it expands consciousness to alters it. experiences, <laughs> right? But what it does is that that let's say consciousness is a spectrum of color, you know, or the spectrum of light. Right? Mm -hmm. We have a certain spectrum of consciousness, and when we take these uh, psychotropics, what they do is they expand the ability to see more in the spectrum they allow us to see more of reality that right. we're not allowed to see just of our biological driven being so um and that's why these psychotropics are illegal <laughs> oh you feel that's why that's oh, one of the yeah. main reasons yeah because the powers of be um and i'm going to say western capital christian specifically catholic specifically i don't know why all the people want to go to area 51 if we want to crash anything we should crash the vatican <laughs> I like it. All right. Seriously. I like it. Storm the Vatican Storm the 2020. Vatican. We want to get in there and find out what you heard here first. What text you have and yeah. what are you hiding from us? Yeah. You know, and what have you stolen? They're stolen power. 
The Vatican has stolen power and stolen spirituality. They burned the church mm-hmm. in Alexandria, or they burned the they burned the College of Alexandria. Mm-hmm. They stole all that knowledge. And I was just speaking this weekend about a conspiracy theory in Bigfoot, you know, and I'm like. Well, let's forget about Bigfoot. Why don't we talk about why there is a concerted effort on this planet to eradicate indigenous cultures and all of their knowledge? And right now, the biggest thing we've got for humanity to remember who we are as a species is a place called Gobleki Tepe. It is the most fascinating structure we have. And where is Gobleki Tepe? Oh, it just happens to be on the Syrian border Mm -hmm. being destroyed. Right. Right. Major war conflict. Right. Right. And ISIS, whoever they are, um, systematically went in and destroyed temples. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're a political entity Mm -hmm. and you're trying to express your religious freedom and whatever your ISIS plan is, why are you destroying 10,000-year-old ziggurats? Like, why? I'm not buying that at all. If you want a conspiracy theory from me, mm-hmm. answer that one. Why is it that Iraq, Iran, and these places that have these tens of thousands of years old structures and mega megalithic right. things. Ancient tech. Ancient things, and we're mm-hmm. destroying those, right? Like, why? Um, and who's doing that? And, and the same thing in Australia, you know? The Catholic Church had a program into the 70s. Yeah, late into 70s. the late 70s yeah. to capture indigenous aboriginals and breed them out. Mm-hmm. Rape them and breed them out. Three generations the Catholic Church figured if you raped them mm-hmm. and bred them, you would have a white child. Yeah, there's whole generations of, ab- they call them abos, which is the racist term, but the aborigines there, the kids and the brothers and the sisters are all meeting for the first time ever because they've been adopted out into these farmed out farmed out yeah and they wanted to eradicate all of their wisdom and the aboriginals probably have the most correct if i could say of any sort of um philosophy about where we came from Mm -hmm. because ultimately what they say is everything is born along a song line right the song line is a vibration Mm-hmm. All phenomena is vibration at the subatomic level. So if you're looking at quantum physics and you're looking at their metaphysic, they really have pretty much the truest metaphysic that's been on this planet that we can we can communicate about. I don't know what the Egyptian thoughts were still, you know, like there's ancient Hindu texts, we're not really quite sure. Right. There's ancient Buddhist texts, you know, they have... But these people still have a living language and a living philosophy of where we came from and they're being decimated. But the song lines say that every being, every being, every particle of matter that you see right now is born along a song line. A song line is a vibration, right? Humanity has a human vibration in which we manifest, Mm -hmm. but you as a human being, you as a human being, me as a human being, all the humans have a vibration as what we show up in, Right. right? So why, I mean, if we want to talk about conspiracy theories, my question is, is why are we wiping out all of this amazingly beautiful, wonderful, rich history and knowledge? Um, and and don't, you, don't you think it's been in a, a cycle for the eons? I mean, we destroy, we rebuild. 
if we dig deep enough in the earth, we'd find all this gr crazy stuff like Gopeki Tepe. It's, it's a and, cycle. Right, and, and I don't know if that's a truth or if it's a narrative. I like it. I hear it. I hear what you're saying, right? But uh -huh. we are, we do have a narrative that we need to destroy things in everything in order to recreate it, or we're destroyed and recreated, mm -hmm. or we're destroyed and recreated. Yeah. yeah. Are we just buying that as a narrative? You and, think that's the new narrative? I think it's a definitely a narrative that mm -hmm. we promote. Matter of fact, I just watched a PBS, PBS special mm -hmm. um, about ancient cultures, and um, they full-on said that war was necessary because it, it gives us more technology. Mm -hmm. You know, so PBS, and this is a 2019 or 2018 show, is telling you know the people who are watching it this narrative that we have to have war, else we won't have great technology. That's a narrative, you know, and that's debatable. Um, yeah, the Earth goes yeah. in cycles, right? The Earth does go in cycles. Um, however, this destruction narrative. Mm -hmm. Do we really know that's true? And we were talking about evolution um, and, uh, and what's high, the most highly evolved thing on the planet. Well, wouldn't compassion, wouldn't um, uh, camaraderie, wouldn't those be more highly evolved than we have technology to blow you up? That seems very easy. I agree. Yeah, you no. know, Very easy. And we keep buying into these narratives um, that really we're not really questioning mm -hmm. that narrative. We just buy it. And just like he said... That's why he's angry. That's why he's angry, because he bought into the narrative that Sasquatch doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And then he's driving down the street, and then he sees a Sasquatch. And now he's got to confront that. He's got to confront his belief system. Right. He's got to confront his family and friends, because he's not going to be not true to himself and his experience, just like me. I had to make that choice, too. I'm like, oh, my God, Bigfoot, are you kidding me? So you guys never flirted with bearing this, bearing that truth, just so you could live in the world of lies? Never. Never. Not even. It's not, not your personality, though. Not even. Not but many do. I mean, you have to imagine. You run into them all the time. They've had incredible experiences, and there's no way that they're going to ruin their worldview. Well, no, I think that um, I think timing and all this is all important in the personalities, and, like, it's all kind of maybe meant to happen. But, I mean, right now, you look what all this has built up to. Where are we at right now in the world? We're, we're in this period of time called the Great Awakening. You know, where you have all this governmental stuff going on related to the QN and issues and Q and all this uh, intelligence and information that's being divulged to the people. And then you have a president that is there who allegedly is, you know, uh, fighting this war against this deep state and, and you know, and draining this swamp. And, and, and then ultimately, as part of this process of the Great Awakening, the people are going to be empowered with knowledge and information that's going to be revealed to them, you know, which has been kept from them to mm -hmm. maintain control right through the church through the central bank and through all these uh, forms of enslavement where we're in this feudalist system where we think we're free but really we're not because we're enslaved by debt through a banking system and through through a religious system through mm -hmm. this catholic church right where where we don't really have any legitimacy everything that we believe is kind of fabricated in front of us and all the information is controlled because information is power Right. We have all these intelligence services that have done nothing over the past 50 or 60 years except, you know, uh, advanced technology through the Germans and the Nazis, what they got from that aspect and, and uh, expand and find out as much knowledge and information they can about the natural world and all this stuff, you know, and, and doing all these experiments and potentially. If but Rich, wouldn't it be easier just to take the blue pill? Why? Why? I mean, you're just slamming red pill after red pill. 
and that's your personality, but it's so much easier. Well, maybe because we were picked, maybe you're picked for it because you're part of a bigger picture in a process to where, to where you know, certain people. I just feel like I'm compelled, you know, to go mm-hmm. down this path. I don't, I don't really care what happens to me as a result mm-hmm. of any of this. It's just my job to say, hey, I'm exposed to this. Mm-hmm. This is what I've seen and what I've experienced, and I think it's important for everybody to know. It's part of a process. We're all part of this thing. Right. It's like where humanity in general. You look at the at the Bible and in the Book of Revelation, and they talk about the fact that in the end times that you're going to know everything. All the right. information is going to be available. We're at that time now. You know, kind of where everything is available. You can go on the internet and find out anything you want to know. It may or may not be true, but you don't know exactly what's true or not. Right. It's a matter to you to go in and look at it and make a determination whether or not there's fact associated to it, or or if it's if if it's not. You know, but the fact is, is that there's all this information that's available. There's so much going on right now, mm-hmm. and you can certainly see politically if you really dig in and peel back the layers of the onions, to where there is truth to this QAnon movement and this whole thing with Trump and all this stuff that's going on. And I know he's not popular with a lot of people, but you have to really look at it. What is he up against? You know, what is happening through this process? Has he not pulled us out of Syria in all these wars? And there's been massive amount of uh, resistance, I guess you could see, from these rhinos and from these Democrats that are embedded in this system where the central banking system, you know, controls the money. Right. You know, they put interest on the money. They get everybody in debt. Every country is in massive debt. Right. They're all in, in bed, indebted to them. Right? You're in servitude to this board of directors of a bank who issues currency worldwide to all these central banks. But your point, the larger point you're making here... They want to control information. Well, but you're saying that information has been controlled and Bigfoot was kind of your first clue that, hey... Yeah, it tipped me off. To it's just like, wait, if I've been lied about this... The, the easy stuff is like all around me in my sphere of influence. My family has no idea how they've been suckered. We all been suckered. You know, we're buying into this whole system that, like for instance, we have in America, and it's a worldwide thing where we've all been. In, in like you work a government job or the private pension systems, we're all in, in these pension systems. You think that you're going to sacrifice, you know, the best years of your life to put into a pension to where when you're old. You can retire. Pay, you'll be taken care of. 15 years. Right. Well, yeah. there, all <laughs> Good these, living. There's 1.9 trillion of unfunded liability related to the pension systems. Right. right. They know that eventually they're going to default. They're not going to be good. They're not going to make good. And it's all going to go away. We're nearing that point in time now, yet everybody is oblivious to it. They don't even know. You know, we're at a, at a point where the stock market is at a record peaked high in an artificial situation where the central bank has controlled the interest rates. Right. Right. And injected cash. Right. To, to control the system, to get us to a point where we are at record bubbles in all of these areas, where everything could pop at any time. You know, and then we can, a little closer with the mic there. It's just that... Let me ask you this. Also, is bringing it back to the, the Bigfoot paranormal conundrum here, what would you like to see happen? To I mean, aside from something like this, which is obviously not organized at all, this is a raw conversation about different ideas here. Here they have these conferences. There's a conference going on 60 miles away from us. There's one every month going on here, and nothing's really happened. Uh, The only thing that really has happened in the last three or four years has been due to a punk rock singer out of Blink-182 who basically just said, hey, I'm going to combine efforts here with uh, people from the Pentagon and show that I'm serious. I mean, it's... 
my point is that these people coming out of the woodwork here to do stuff at these conferences aren't really moving the ball. It's the people that are actually no, we're wanting to move this conversation in a different direction. We're just talking about it amongst ourselves. Not, nothing new is coming to point. There's no disclosure, right? Uh, the problem is, is that we have all these people in this country that are aware that there's this phenomenon. Nobody really understands it. They only have their own experiences, right? But they know that there's something going on. There's Bigfoot. There's E.T. There's ghosts. There's all kinds of other cryptids and stuff that are people are experiencing, that people are seeing. People know that there's something happening, right? Mm -hmm. Yet, information is power. And, and there's e these elites that control all of this information. They control the world governments through blackmail, through debt, through Jeffrey Epstein. Who knows? You know, everybody seems to be associated with that that has any influence or power, be it in Hollywood or mm -hmm. in D.C. You know, they use this information to blackmail, to keep information from being divulged. Because if people don't know, you know, the truth, they don't know their past. If people don't know their past, they can't make the appropriate decisions for their future. Right. Mm -hmm. They don't really know. If they don't know where they've been, how do they know where they're going? So this is like an information prison or information Essentially, war. Essentially, that's what we're in. We are in an information prison because the information is controlled. I mean, I, I think that the, um, as far as the, the individual power that we have individually is being kept from us. People don't even have the knowledge of what, how much power you have as an individual over yourself you know, or over your environment. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, I think that all we're kind of lost at this point because it's at a point where we're at this cusp of this mm -hmm. edge where it seems like and it feels like there's just all this availability of information and knowledge that's out there and, and it's just disorganized at this point mm -hmm. because the powers that be are still in control mm -hmm. and everybody's still a slave because all that really everybody is distracted most of the people are distracted they don't know what's going on mm -hmm. they, they all they know is they they don't want their life or their lifestyle to be interrupted Right. They just want it to maintain the way it is. They just still want everything that they have the way it is. They don't really care about anything else. They're stuck in this. They don't mm -hmm. want to jump to the next level of enlightenment, I guess you could say, or awakening. Or, uh, But I think that we're on the edge where it's going to be forced, and some people are moving forward, and, and, and then a lot of people aren't. You know, I just think we're at, we're at the edge of something huge right now. I can feel it. I've been feeling it you know, for a long time, and I've been getting ready for it. I've been compelled that, to get ready yeah. for it. I, in, our, in our closing here, in the final moments that we have here, is that the final word you want to say? Is that you feel like we're kind of at Art Bell's term, the quickening? Uh, yeah, I do feel. I felt like that's where And I think that my whole path in life that's happened since the big, especially Harstein Island, has really pushed me to make dramatic changes. I gave up my job and my career and my retirement and everything to get ready for something. You know, and, and I, I, I picked up my family and moved them. And... Um, and uh, they're just trying to live their lives day to day, but I'm aware that there's something going on and we're close at the edge of, we're at the cusp of something. That's why I'm not wasting my time and I feel like I'm not engaged in the Bigfoot world or any mm -hmm. of this stuff anymore. I tell my story because it's part of this awakening, because I experienced this part of this awakening, right? And I, and I think it's my job to, and I guess I'm compelled that I need to inform other people that, hey, this, there's more than meets the eye to what's going on here and mm -hmm. around. There's something else happening here, right? You need to expand your thinking outside. You need mm -hmm. to not be in fear all the time because that's what everybody is. We're all in fear. They keep us in fear with through mm -hmm. the news. You're scared of everything. You're scared <laughs> of somebody, you know, committing identity theft on you. You know, you're some. You're scared of running out of money. You're scared of death. You're scared of everything. You know, so it's like everything has this. 
enslaved, essentially. You know, an information prison. Yeah, we're trapped in this prison of fear. Mm-hmm. And really, and maybe we don't really need to fear anything, because maybe it doesn't really matter how lo- how long you're here for. Right. Anyways, maybe you're infinite. Anyways, you know what I mean. Good point, Sonia. Final thoughts. Well, and that's that. I I really like what Rich just said about fear. You know. That's why I said, we talked earlier about the Gorman Ranch, and I said, yeah, I want to go. And you're like, aren't you afraid? And I'm like, well, no, why would I be afraid? They didn't hurt any humans. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's information there. Um, and we don't know what the end picture is going to be. And we, know, we don't make this choice to either be, we don't necessarily make this choice to be born or leave this space. It just happens. Mm-hmm. You know, that's something that's part of being an earthling right. is showing up here. You get to be born and you get to die. And that's always been so funny to me how people are freaked out about death. No, I don't want to leave here and get in a car accident and die. No, I don't want to, like anybody else, I don't want to have a, a whatever heinous death. I mean, but do I not go into the forest for that? Do I not confront Bigfoot? Do I not go to the ranch? No, because for me, there are answers there. You know, there's a mystery and it's calling, it beckons you, you know, being an empath. Um, that's why it was always surprising to me in the first place that I didn't believe in Bigfoot, right? Because I've been an empath and I believe in a lot of things um, because I've experienced them. And I'm not so harsh on the people necessarily that, um, like you said, take the blue pill. They don't, they don't want to know anything, right? Is that the side where you're, you don't want to know stuff that's going on? Because there are people who actually don't have these experiences. They don't, I had to resolve to that. I, I think I had a hard time with humans because I was experiencing so much and mm-hmm. I couldn't understand why they weren't. And then I just realized, oh, no, maybe like a 10% of the population are empathic. Mm-hmm. That's why. I think really even if they don't know it, these people, I think the vast majority of people are making a conscious, to- a conscious choice to not pay attention. Mm-hmm. Well, there's that. Because it's something that they... Right. They have a life experience or path that takes them to there, where they're compelled to inform. You know, it's their job to educate people of that experience, keep them aware. But the vast majority of people to keep humanity going in the direction it needs to. to Right. They can't trouble themselves. They just have to organically exist. Right. Go through a process. You know, of life and death and fear and all of it. You know, and and creative failing and everything else. And then there's some people that are there that that have a connection to this vast. You know knowledge or whatever it is right. and it's, it's like compelling you to you know you need to inform you need to keep this alive you need to tell them you know but I really think in particular and Sonia go ahead and give the mic back there you go particular, this time in general where we're at right now we really are at the cusp of something huge and I and my whole life has been changed to prepare for this and I think that that moment that happened in 2000 where that Bigfoot walked in, in front of me mm. really really jolted me and like pushed me in the direction to prepare myself for something a next phase, something, because I really just feel like we're wasting our time right now. Every day, we're just wasting our time. We're at the end of a system and a, pro- a system that is meaningless. It doesn't mean anything. So wait, you think we're the, like at the end of a of a project? No, like there's I don't a, necessarily there's a project. A, I think that we're or a plan. We're we're maintaining. We're we're still stuck in something that has uh, the shelf life has expired. Okay, already. I like that. And we need to move on to something else. Our expiration date is here. It's already been here. We're beyond yeah. it already, and it, it just we're hanging on because the people that control us and that want to maintain power mm-hmm. over us 
The few that want to maintain power and control over many don't want to relinquish or give up that control or that power because it's how they maintain themselves for thousands of years, same families, the same bloodlines. And now it's time for us to mm. evolve and, and go beyond this. And I think that we're going to go through a big period of violence and turmoil related to this to break away. It almost sounds like you're talking about a prophecy or there being a revelation. Yeah, like a end time scenario. Like Armageddon. An Armageddon. An Armageddon. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe not that. But I think it's maybe maybe that's. What, <laughs> well, what do you I, think, no, no, Sonia? I I wouldn't. I would not uh, refute that because uh, so this summer, um, before this most recent concert or uh, co uh, conference where we were. Right. Um, doing my research, I watched all these physics programs, and you know how YouTube will like. I was watching the British Academy of Physics. You know, just watching thing after thing after thing and um, really nerding out on physics this summer, like all summer long and, um, and having a great time. And this one video came up from the History Channel about Sir Isaac Newton and uh, it was very fascinating. I had to take a note of it. I was like, I watched it. Um, it wasn't what I, it wasn't part of the research that I was doing, but it came up and it was fascinating. I didn't realize that Sir Isaac Newton had two lives and one life was, you know, the physicist, but the other was a biblical scholar and he was obsessed by the Bible and he was especially obsessed with Armageddon, uh, with Revelations and the Book of Thomas mm -hmm. and or Enoch, one of those, maybe all three of those. And Newton had decided for himself that he could mathematically figure, he felt that the Bible was coded and that he could mathematically figure the day the world was going to end. Um, and he gave three significant dates, and two of those three, leading to Armageddon, actually have already occurred, and he was accurate. The third one is 2050, according to his calculations. The one that he said the beginning of the end would be when Israel was giving their home back in 1945, and he said mm -hmm. 1945, which happened in 1947. So he was pretty darn accurate. Um, it's a really interesting um, thing well, that I can't was really he? Guess. Yeah, was he using his science yes. as kind of like a quadrangle like Nostradamus did, kind of like smothering his ability to see things? And code it through science. You think he was actually a visionary of some kind? No, was he was. He actually believed. I, I don't know that that he was a visionary more than he actually believed there was a mathematical formula to uh -huh. the books that he could he could get this date. He but what better way to, you know, not be persecuted? Say I figured out the math, and well, instead he, he had a dream. Well, he was hiding his work too, of course. Right. He was. He hid all of his biblical stuff because of the time that he lived in. Right. He right. had been killed by the church, and he he was already walking on an edge doing his physics. You know I didn't know he was killed by the church. No, it said he no he would be killed. Oh, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> right. okay. And those days people were getting burned at the stake still, right? right? For you know disobeying the church. And he was knighted. Yeah. Okay. For his physics work, but he had he had a secondary work that he would do, and it was based all biblical. He was very much into biblical prophecy, and he really thought that uh -huh. he could decipher this. And these papers all became available and were actually sold um, at Christie's. Oh, really? He had a big box of these papers of all of this work that he had done on the, the Bible. Vatican got it. And the Vatican has it. <laughs> the Vatican has Let's it. end this with the Vatican. I want to thank Sonia. Thank you. Very much. Thank, thank you, so you much. Rich. Thank you guys for joining us here. Um, yeah, this is fantastic. Um, we'll do it again, a different format, a different question. We start off in Bigfoot and we end it at the Vatican. Awesome. Thanks, guys. All right, thanks again to Rich and Sonia. 
for spending the better part of three or four hours with us at the Manresa Castle in the Green Room, which is also their awesome historic bar. you got to check out the menu at Manresa Castle. And you can take a visual tour if you like, because this is also a video. If you want to watch the video, you can do that. Like I said, I'll put out a teaser, and you'll get the idea. And then uh, you can join our Patreon page. There's lots of stuff on there already. It's only been up for about a month and a half. And there you'll find extra podcasts and extra video for now. Much more coming in 2020. So go to patreon.com forward slash strangebrow radio. B-R-A-U. Why? Because we love you. Also, don't forget our sponsor, Feral by Aaron at Etsy.com. The holidays are coming up and you got to do it right with some alchemy sound tools feral by aaron e-r-y-n and why don't you book a room why don't you at the historic manresa castle just get out there already you've seen it on ghost adventures you know the story some of you don't those that don't are learning it it's a amazing haunted castle in the historic town of port townsend so check it out at the manresa castle.com or their the Castle NPT, Castle I-N-P-T dot com. All right. We will be back next week with some more strange goodness. I am headed out the door, well, maybe, for Thanksgiving. We'll see. I'm going to try. If I don't, then I will just be working on the website. That's it for now. Goodbye, and I will see you in the trees.